Hi, my name is Kevin Nichols. Hi, my name is Kingsley Black. Hi, my name's Rebecca Lowe. Hi, my name's Tony Thorpe. My name's Graham Alexander. I'm David Oldfield. Hi, my name's Steve Davis. My name's Carl Emerson. Hey, it's Emerson Boyce here. Hi, my name's Stephen Robinson. My name is Andy Kiwamia. And you're listening to my best... And you are listening to my best... To my best... 11 podcast. And you're listening to my best 11 podcast. Welcome to um, an episode of my Best Eleven podcast. Today we are joined by a man who I believe, I know Marv's going to have his opinion in a minute, um, one of the greatest players to ever grace Kenilworth Road, and arguably um, even greater than that. Today we're joined by Ricky Hill. Ricky spent a lot of time, uh, most of his career at Luton, um, spent, um, then went across to France with Le Havre, uh, Leicester. Um, and finished his career in the States uh, with Tampa Bay and has had some um, some time as well managing, um, both over across in the States um, and in England as well. Um, Ricky is also here because uh, he's got a new book out, which you can see in the background. Those people who have got some, um, those people have got um, watching us on YouTube. Um, he's got a new book out called uh, Love of the Game, which is fantastic. Um, and the idea of the book, or the book goes through, which Ricky will talk us through in a minute, um, is, is going through the highlights of his journey before, during and after his playing career and some memories of success and disappointments on the way. And that book's out on the 15th of March um, and get it from any good bookshop. Um, online, um, a number of places online. And Ricky has said if any of our listeners wanted to contact him directly, um, either DM um, on Twitter uh, or email him, uh, which is rickyahill at hotmail.com, um, he will do something personal for each person who wants to buy that book um, directly from him. So that's, um, so that's enough from me about the book. Let's listen to the man himself. How are you, Ricky? Very well, thanks, Andrew. Marvellous. How are you, sir? Well, um, that's some intro. That that is the I mean, We've had some intros, but like, <laughs> and rightly so. Takes 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 the top 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 intro because, like Andrew said, I mean, I've I mean, I've played with many players as you have, Ricky, and like over the fifteen years I was at Luton, it's a case of that. I mean, I've. I've Three people really, if I even know when Andrew's talking about the podcast, three people who I really would love to get on the podcast, 100%, you're one of them, Steve Foster's another one, and my hero, I, I will never probably get on him because obviously he's way out of our uh, ream is um, Sir Kelly Douglas. So, I mean, to get one of the three already, I mean, hoping to get Fozzie out at some point is just fantastic for me. So, welcome, Trick. Oh, thanks, Marv, for that. Fantastic. Um, yeah. How do I follow that now, Andrew? Time to go, right? <laughs> definitely definitely save, save that save, save you going a bit redder um so what what those people that haven't listened to the podcast before um what we do is we go through um ricky's best 11 team he has to have played on the park for the same team with any of these players he picks in his team across his whole playing career um and what we do is go through player by player and we try and guess as we go as well um so First things first, Ricky, what formation have you gone for? Yeah, interesting. There could only be one formation for me, Andrew, Marv, because, yeah, I sometimes, I don't think I spoke about it in the book as well. I was at Luton for 
nearly 15 years as well. well. And throughout that time, I only played in a 4-4-2 formation for one season. That was when Ray Harford came in. And Ray was a 4-4-2 person. Prior to that, it was always 4-3-3 with Harry Haslam and also when Davy Pete took over. So for me, it can only be 4-3-3. Three is then. Is that also a bit of attacking as well? Always attacking. <laughs> the, point, the point of that was, and, and the beauty of the 4-3-3 that we played in Leeson when I was breaking through and coming through and in the first team, was we always played with three forwards outside of me. And I always considered myself to be an attacking type of player. So that would create a fourth forward in essence at some time. So, you know, for me, that's the only way forward. Excuse the point. Excellent, excellent. So one day we're our Madrid manager. The idea you can score seven. It doesn't matter if you concede six because you'll score seven. That's the theory. That's the theory <laughs> of the game. It is, it is. So we'll start off with goalkeepers. Um, so over to you, goalkeeper. A couple of quick mentions for a couple of goalkeepers that when I was young, breaking into the first team from an apprenticeship into the first team would be Keith Barber, who was very kind to me. First team keeper at Luton in the 1970s, 74, some period. Um, affectionately looked out for me, asked me to call him dad in a term of endearment. That's how much he, you know, he loved me and wanted me to feel comfortable within the environment of the group. And also Emilia Alexa, who passed away, unfortunately, who left to Tottenham in 1978. He was another great man. I was in digs at Mrs. Goss, as you know, Marv, and he would come round, take me out. You know, he was a much senior pro to me, had his family, but he, he reached out to make sure that I was okay, yeah, knowing I was there on my own. So those two special mentions to them. Now we go down to the actual keepers. We know, been great keepers from that period all the way through. So when I left in 89, so the person I'm going to pick was someone who had a great command of his box. He was uh, possibly the best keeper we've had, in my estimation, in respects to taking crosses. Also... His distribution was incredible out of his arm or out of his feet in respect to the dead ball kicking over a long distance with accuracy and a flat trajectory. Did I play he with was, him? Marv, you never played with him. I didn't no. think I did. And I, was, oh, I didn't think I did. I think I might have it though. Go on then, keep going. So came to Luton from Aston Villa as a young player, played 50 games, maybe less than 50 at Aston Villa. Um, was consistent throughout the period that he was with us. Very charismatic, good in the dressing room, strong personality. No, not good. I'm, I mean, I probably not. I mean, I'm going to have a guess. Ron Balaam? <laughs> well, you're about 15 years too early, mate. <laughs> Ron Balaam, I'm sure. I mean, he might have been in the 50s. I was going to say you've mentioned Harry Haslam you've mentioned, I right. mean I'm thinking I don't know I, I don't, that's only well the one I know really? go on, Ricky who's the man who is it give it a he was blonde oh oh my gosh Blake Finley you are correct Marv one nil Marv well done <laughs> you are correct Jake Finley I mean don't get me wrong Andy Dibble fantastic keeper came as a young lad Great shot stopper, very all-round fantastic. Won us the Little Wars Cup, in my estimation. Without that penalty save, that was a turning point. And the other saves along the way, we were really yeah. dead and buried. So, you know, Divs, for me, playing with Divs, he was, um, it was only a short period. So I, I had to go with someone like Jake, who'd been there, or Les Seeley, who also was great for us. And again, was part of a major... But with the, the era that Jake was playing, 
we had David Pleat just taking over as a manager, but he was that consistent where it gave the rest of the team the platform to go out there and really express ourselves and play some electrifying for every week in the knowledge that we had a, a dependable keeper back there who would, would hold his own. So yeah. for me, Jake, Jake, Jake I, gets I, on. I, I didn't realise he was really, I mean, as good as what you just said there. When, when you said about distribution, I'm thinking... I remember Dibs being very good as well, quite distributed, but I think it's not going to be Dibs. I don't think it's going to be Dibs. It'd be close because, I, like you just said, you didn't really have that span of playing a long time with, with Dibs. So no. I didn't really, I remember Jake. I don't, I don't remember him. I didn't realise he was that good of um, distribution. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we felt comfortable, Marv, every time. You know, he, yeah. he, he, just the trajectory of his kicking you know, and his throwing was, was, was powerful, a good arm. Letting let people into the into the ball as opposed to hitting them with the ball. So the accuracy of for me, I mean, it could have been any of them, but yeah. I had to pick one. And again, I, I, it's always going to be subjective yeah. opinions because you know I hate to do this. And I've been there fourteen years, and there's so many great players that I played with that I can't get in the eleven. So I apologise now before we even go in. <laughs> Ricky, it's listen, it's your eleven. Listen, if they didn't get in, right? I said before they're not good enough. It's not my, it's not your fault. <laughs> well, I don't know if that's right. It's splitting hairs now, Marvis. Splitting hairs on a number of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, you made it in. I think in every single person so far we've had who played in your era, you that. made it into all of their teams, Ricky. So I'm flattered. It's I'm and there's flat. some there's some fantastic players we've we've had on so far, and that's fantastic to see. So defense wise, moving on, right or left, you can go wherever you like. We'll go with the right back, and okay. again, numerous players to choose from. This particular one, for me personally, great in respects to allowing me to go and express myself. Never been concerned about the other side of the ball, recovering too deep to go and help him. Yes, of course, we were taught you had to double up on any. You'd have to give them. Generally, if I wasn't there, it wouldn't be an issue. I wouldn't get my head chewed off. He's someone who played at the highest level. The tenacity for training. For match days, so competitive, great in the air, played even though he had two knees that no anterior crease in them. But you would never have known. It's powerful. Got it, Andrew? It could be air. I've narrowed it down to a couple. Am I, I'm, I'm a clue, aren't I? Am I a clue? To the next? No. Mm-hmm. That's not who I thought it was then. Yeah, exactly. I've done your mind. Uh, <laughs> right. I'm going to throw a name out there. I'm going to go... I'm gonna, Ashley Grimes. Left back. Not back of you. We're talking left back. Come on. I thought he was right back. It is early. It is early, Ricky. (laughs) All right. All right. (laughs) Yeah, Andrew. (laughs) You just cross them over. No, he's right back. All right. Right back. Go on, Marv. Go on, Marv. I'm going to giggle at me. I'll give you you another clue then. I'll give you another clue. Go on, then. Blonde. Tim Breaker. No. Oh, at least he was oh, blonde and right back. Yeah, he's here, but he didn't have his knee injuries. He didn't have his knee Split injuries. Right. Oh, see, I don't know yeah, enough yeah. about in the injuries and stuff mm-hmm. to, to say that. That's why. I'm not going to get it, Rick. Go on, no. go on. Put us out of misery. Nickname Basher? Oh, Kirk Stevens. Mm, Kirk Stevens. There you go. Kirk Stevens. I gave it away to you. You did, you I, I did. Think, I, just, I, I could think, start thinking of that era. Start thinking yeah, of that yeah. era. Basher, think, exactly, I yes. Kirk, it's close. Kirk, Tim, Rob Johnson, any of the above would have been because 
you know, they were tremendous players. They were tremendous help towards to me. Tim was a marauding fullback with great athleticism, great energy, good quality on the ball, discipline. So Rob was the same, but Kirk was in that era again where we played, in my estimation, the most attractive football that suited me. That was my best period, I think, in my 15 years at Luton was that 78 to 83, 84, 85 period where it was just all out attacking the verb. Um, so Kirk would get it. Kirk would get him. Um, just lean on to what you just said there about yeah. the way you played, Ricky. So yeah. was that um, Harry Aslam then? Was that Harry Aslam? Was that with, with, with that group, first group? And then when David Pleat came in, was it very much the same thing? <clears throat> Excuse me, the very much the same thing? Harry, Harry had a similar philosophy in regards to it was about us never being too concerned about the opposition of what they're going to do. We never really catered our game to, to stop people playing. We catered our game to try to go and, and win the game. Harry had an older squad at the time that he was working with and he played a more conventional, a slightly a 4-4-2 come 4-3-3 with Jimmy Ryan. Obviously, he became manager right. and great Jim as on the right-hand side. But then we had John Aston on the left-hand side, who was an outside left, out-and-out European Cup winner for Man United. So and then when David took over, I think he modelled his side on what Nottingham Forest had done. At the time, we didn't realise the similarities. You know, John Robinson on the left-hand wing yeah. with Bertels and um, Tony Woodcock as of two forwards, Martin O'Neill on the right side, tucking in. So, and then we did similar thing with Mossy, obviously, you know, fantastic on the left two strikers, and me tucked in on the right with either Paddy, Nobby, um, Nico, eventually, Lil. So that so it was a 4-3-3, but it was always geared towards having the three forwards with an attacking purpose, as opposed to the 4-5-1 that we see now, Mark. Right. They, use, they claim it's a 4-3-3, but it, they drop the wingers back in and make it a 4-5. So right. I think David was, the, David was the real one that, for me, encouraged that stylistically but the flip side to that was I never played on the right side of midfield in my life before coming to Luton I was always a centre midfield player at school and growing up through my childhood I was Johnny Giles or Billy Bremner I wanted to control the game I was right. like the computer of it but then coming to Luton now and the way the stylistically where teams were playing with holding midfielders solely as defensive support from behind type that kind of, I only had to modify my game to say, well, let me go and try and see if I can play on the right, into out, use my energy, get involved in the game and see what happens from there. So, yeah, it was perfect for me, 4-3-3. I think it showed my talent to a degree. But yeah. later on, I mean, again, when I got into the, into the team and when we've had a couple of guests on here, they've saying they're talking about, yeah, this player played for Luton, bigger hero and I... And I'm trying to think who it is. And they go, oh, you can't guess who it is. I went, no. And I'm, they're going, it's Ricky. I went, Ricky played in the middle. I always know Ricky as centre midfield. I don't know Ricky as an on no. the right. I said, when, and I'm thinking from my days, when I played, you were in the middle, like you just spoke about from your school days, controlling yeah. the game, like dictating yeah. things. I don't remember you playing on the right. Which is weird. <laughs> because, well, because I was supposed to go in the right, but I was never... On the right, you just want to get involved with the game. I mean, right. this is why in this modern era, I don't think I could play 
for certain managers because they religiously stop you from venturing outside of your particular zone. Right. I was one that was allowed to maraud because if I felt the danger, if I felt an opportunity there, you know, I look at some of the highlights occasionally and I'm on the outside left or I'm on the inside left and (laughs) I'm technically supposed to be a right midfielder. But no one complained. No one even mentioned it. People just slotted across and filled in if I wasn't there. Kirk or Tim would say, don't worry, just make your diagonal run to recover, uh, Rob. And, and so I just got involved in the game and, and David allowed me to do all credit to him, all kudos to him. I, I, I was going to say that. It's good, great management by um, David to like to see that you're affecting the game, right? Obviously, I'm sure if you wasn't affecting the game in the way what you was yeah. doing, he would yeah. tell you about it. But again, he didn't turn yeah. around and, and he could have easily gone, well, no. Like I have heard, like the so-called Pep Guardiola goes, no, you go and play here. This is your job. You do this, you do that. Mm. So, I guess it's a different area as well, Mark, because, you know, in our times, it was keepers were allowed to pick the ball up. Both defenders, defensive would squeeze up. Keepers would kick it. It would be scramble then. You know, yeah. every man for himself, <laughs> right? <laughs> so you get, you get a touch now and again from just by the ball breaking loose and you'd have to hunt it down and push someone out the way and then try to do something creative. Yeah. So now it's this dropout, expansive, no pressure up the forwards. I mean, you know, Marv, when, when you were got in the side, then two forwards up front, if they were, you were up against, they would be tearing yeah. across, across the pitch, trying to stop you from playing and you would do your, your famous, I'm going to kick it and you drag it inside them. No, I'm not. Beautiful. Oh, yeah. I always remember that as a young player, you had that confidence within your ability to, to not panic and just kick the ball anywhere up the pitch. You was always cultured in your thinking of, you know, I see that, don't like that, don't like that. And you're comfortable driving it in midfield, which is, I mean, I didn't play that. Well was that was the Luton way, which I'm sure, like, similar to yourself, that you that you um, were taught that way. I mean, I know we're, we're, we're digression here, but I just wanted to just get one more question. Is it true that when you made your debut, you was playing pool in the room? You'd have to buy the book. You was. You'd have to buy the book, mate. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, only joking. Yeah, um, you know, them days, as apprentices, you know what it's like, Marv. You, you're, in, you're in a room. I'm, I've been there five months. I've been there right. five months. I played 13 reserve games. I played for the youth team on a Saturday. I'm you know, doing my jobs every day regularly. So we're playing pool while the first team have had their lunch, come down to the room to relax and watch the telly for a little while. So the first team can start walking out the door. So as they walk out the door, I'm, I'm playing pool and the lads are all, the apprentices are all there. And then Roy McCrowan's the first team coach. He's a, he comes out last after he rounds everyone up. As he walks past, he just turns his head like that and says, you're with us today. And we kept on walking. So then I'm like, and everyone's like, looked at me, what's going on? So I took the cue and I've handed it to the first person. I've walked into the room and I've just snuck into the corner. And then days there's only one sub. So then all the eyes are on you because you're like, well, what's this about? And so, yeah, went into the room. And that was it, mate. Got on with 20 minutes to go, 22 minutes. Made a goal, scored a goal. And you're what age? What age 17. I was, I was 17 in March and that was April. I was 17 and one month. Wow. Baptism of fire, or were they nice when you went into that room? All the boys couldn't have been nicer. You know, came over yeah. to, to congratulate me for being involved. You know, everyone came down. Then Eric Morkin came down, told a couple of jokes as he's walking out. He did lots of said, thanks, Mr. Morkin. And, and, you know, I didn't expect to get on. The strange thing about that debut is, you know, you never really think, I've never been a sub before, really, for anything. So I don't know what to expect. So I didn't know what to do with the warm-up. So, okay, Keith would, Dad would t- tell me what he wanted. 
crosses or shots, whatever. So I've got on the bench and I'm sitting there and I'm just watching the game, you know, from a lower perspective than I normally am in the stands. And then suddenly John, John Faulkner went down with 25 minutes to go. And before even physio even got out, he said, that's his dodgy knees off. And I kind of went, so he ran over there as quick as he could do, got there three seconds. So he looked across, he went, and Harry Hasson just said to me, you're on. And as I got up, the crowd just, it was an inhale, like, a, a, who is this? And I couldn't blame them. No one would know who I am. You know, I've never played for the first team, never been involved. And then obviously I made a good impression. And from then it was, who's this kid? Brilliant. Yeah, fabulous. Fabulous. So we'll, we'll get back to the team and we'll get to yeah. some more stories in a minute. Um, left back. Left back. Ashley Grimes. He's, he's in, definitely in, in the frame. Without a doubt. Because he's a left back, yeah? yeah. He's a left back, yeah. He's a left back. And he's a quality left back. So this yeah. person was deemed, after his medical, to, to be uh, the physical, perfect physical specimen for an athlete after his medical at the club. So that's a clue in itself, Marvin. Really? He's not homegrown. He's not homegrown. Right. Okay. He strong, long, He had a long throw. Another clue. I'm not going to make it too easy. Definitely left-footed. Nice range of pass. He was also... Another situation whereby he got into the papers for the wrong reason. We played Queen's Park Rangers away. And after the match, he walked through a glass pane of glass that was, he thought was open. And he walked straight through it. Andrew wouldn't know who this is. All right. He's um, joined Luton at 17, I think. Signed from a, a team in outside of England. I haven't got it. He was at Mrs. Goss. Again, it's not helping Andrew. It is, it is, it is, it is. It's, it's, um... <laughs> He played Mike, for... Mike, Mike, is it um, Mike? Mm. No? He played for Charlton, Leeds, Crystal Palace. He then went on to become head of coach, coach education for one of the home, con- home, con- home, con- home countries. Romy, I don't... You have to remember... Like, what age nah. was you at Mrs. Bob? 17? 18? I was, a, I was a 16 through. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to remember all the... The only people I remember is... And he's not... It's Gary Parker and yourself. That's all oh, I okay. remember. Oh, right. So you won't remember... They won't remember no. this one for sure. No. He played for Wales. Oh! No. I Before Penn. Not um, Hazelwood. Is it Wood? Is it Mike? Mark, Was it Mike Hazelwood? Mark, Mike Mark, Hazelwood. Mark, Mark Hazelwood. That's it. Mark I thought he was, was a centre-back. Tricky, no? Was he not a centre-back? He played centre-back in a three at times. Right. Centre-back at a two, but he played left-back predominantly for us when he first Mark Azerwood, yeah. Remember Wales, yes, I remember him. I put, I put was he him, Yeah, he was with me. Oh, okay. Before you, Marv. Before Mick Sachs. Wow. Yeah, so when he came up from Wales, he came and stayed with me at Mrs Goss. Okay. What wonderful specimen. Six foot three, lean, Great left foot, strong. Yeah, could do everything relatively well. I don't know why the club were anxious to sell him or when they sold him because, you know, he played a great part in our evolution through into becoming into the, from League One or Division One or Division Two to Division One. He played, he was was immense there. But again, you know, I could have easily picked Steve Buckley who was prior to Mark and he was a swashbuckling, you know, modern day fullback back in the 70s. To shoot from anywhere, drive with the ball, a powerful fella, you know, 14 and a half stone of muscle from Derby. Alan Buckley was his brother. Yeah. Who, from, from Grimsby. And he was a quality player. Or you could have picked Ashley, you could have picked Rob, could have picked Richard Money. So, you know, there's, there's been a number of great 
players that have played left back for us. But I just thought because of my relationship with Mark, right, and what a great guy he was. You know, I mean, I went to his wedding in Newport. I was the only player to to go down there and, and visit and stay with him. And I just thought he was a quality player at a time when we were both young, trying to find our way into the game, trying to find our way as first team player. And uh, for me, he was probably the best. Excellent. Excellent. So moving on to centre-backs. I don't want to do this one. I've got well, you can, upset, you can upset a couple of people. I've got too many to choose from. Yeah, <laughs> and, and that's the Just truth. think, who was the most difficult to train against? That's the way I reckon you... I never really got... If you give them honourable mentions, I mean, listen, yeah. it's, 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 it's difficult at the best of times, but you give them honourable mentions, I mean, I think that... That's For sure. Fine. Everyone's got to pick a team. Yes. So I, I picked this person... Yeah, apart from being outstanding, obviously, apart from being a great leader, a great man, a good, a good personality. He was someone who didn't, if he doesn't mind me saying, he enjoyed football, didn't enjoy training as much, but would train and would train hard. But he loved the match. He loved that competitive time when he, he stepped into the <coughs> arena like a gladiator. And, you know, he'd play four games a week and not complain. He'd play one game and have to train for, and he'd complain. <laughs> Why are we training? So he was, you, you probably know who it is straight away, Mark. No, but I don't he, know. What do you mean? He was yeah, Captain Fantastic at one stage. I'm giving it away now. You've already mentioned him already yeah. in this address. So he's the first one that I would pick as my... Andrew, you got it, Andrew. Fuzzy? Yeah. Steve Foster. Steve. What was it like when he came in? Obviously, because he wasn't a... Um, a homegrown player. What was it like when he came in? Did 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 the boys? Obviously, you were there when he when he joined the club. Did the boys go, "Oh, here we got somebody here," or was it kind of because I know he never he didn't come from a, a huge club and kind of work his way down? Do you know what I mean? He was still on his way yeah, up. Yeah. What did you guys say in the dressing room? Um, you know, our job's to play, Andrew. You know, and Marv will tell you a lot of the times when as players, when people came in, we didn't really give too much of an analysis on what they've done previously or what they, who they are, you know, what we expect from them. We, we treat as we find, or we did, you know, and with someone like Fozzie came in at the same time as Mick, as Minnie, as, as, as Nico. And it was just like a, a breath of fresh air when, when they came in, we felt rejuvenated. You know, we weren't doing great during that season. And Fozzie was outside of the first team at Villa at the time, but Mick might've been in and out at Birmingham at the time. And, you know, obviously David was a young lad coming through at Warsaw and Nico likewise at Paris. So it was one of those where whereby we knew, obviously playing against him, how dominating he, he could be and he, he was. You know, he'd been part of the England setups, you know, from the 82, went to the World Cup, I believe, in 82 with um, Ron Greenwood, or he was in, in and around the squad at that stage. So we knew he was a, of a calibre. We also knew that he was someone who... For old, in an old-fashioned way, could head it, boot it from, from a centre-half perspective and boot that physical element that competed, that was not going to back down from anyone, that was up for any challenge. You know, and people don't... And I've always said about Fozzie, he's a footballing ability. He underplayed it. He chose to, un, he chose to yeah. underplay it. He was gifted he, with his touch, his passing, his timing was all those things that you look at for, for players, irrespective of their positions, Fozzie had them in abundance. But he would say, okay, I know what I'm good at. I'm going to do this. I'm going to stop people from playing. I'm going to organise people. I'm going to demand from others in a nice way, in a proper way, in terms of, yeah, 
come on, we can do this together. It's a collective unit. And for us, it was like, wow, fantastic. We had that with Nobby when we got up and then Nobby had gone. And then Fozzie came in, took the mantle. We had that again. And, you know, irrespective of our individual ability, we became a better team from just having his involvement. Special mentions now. Special mentions quickly, though. Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't sure if you'd wait till you got to the other centre-back. No, I've got to do it on this side because there's, another, there's special mentions on the other side too. All right, go. <laughs> so, so on this side, for me, you know, Paul Elliott, look, you know, when Paul Elliott came at 19 years old, he had everything and more to be the top, top, top centre-half, you know, of, of, in a modern era. Yeah. Quick, no one could out-jump him, no one could outrun him, brave, tough, and, and you know, he, he could have gone to heights that we would sit and be amazed at. Unfortunately, injury took that opportunity away from him. Likewise with the other person I'm going to mention is Mick Saxby, who for me, you know, great friend, brother, in Mrs. Goss again, Marv, a wonderful human being character. But ability-wise, we talk about modern footballers and, you know, people talk about John Stones and those who could play the ball. Mick had that ability to be able to play the ball like a midfielder in terms of, you know, creative, he's thoughtful in, in possession. He, he wasn't, con- wasn't um, content with just by hitting the front man. He would be confident enough to bring the ball down and, and play into midfield and play out wide and support from tough, great in the air. Um, and again, for me, he would have been, myself got in the England side, Walshie got in the England side, Brian got in the England side during that period of time in that era. Mick was part of that group. And for me, there's no doubt in my mind, Injury didn't have that cruel fate of taking Mick away for a long period of time. He would have been in that mix in terms of in and around. So Paul, definitely. Mick, definitely. Um, but I can't get him into my 11 at this moment in time. Fantastic. So the other side, the other central defenders. So this person would be, you'd say, a Rolls Royce of a defender. Someone who never looked flustered. I played against the best strikers in the division at the time. I never saw any of them get the better of him on a, on a one-on-one situation whereby, you know, certain games, our forwards always tortured some defenders. So a Walsh or a Brian or a Mossy. I never saw anyone give this person <coughs> a hard time in respect to getting the better of him on one, one-on-one situations. Yes, we may have conceded goals. We conceded goals regularly. That wasn't the fault of necessary centre-backs or the full-backs. It was just the way we played. In, in the expansive manner that we play. But this person, comfortable on the ball, great reader of the game. Yes, he was. Are you coming in now, Mark? Interjecting straight away for two points. Wow. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Now, now Donaghy. Luton's most capped player, I think, isn't he? Statistically. Really? Rightly so. Yeah, in terms that, of when he played for the club, he's the player who's won the most caps for his country whilst playing for Luton, I think. And deserved every single one. And he was consistency personified you know I, I i never saw mal get in my estimation playing with him he would never be less than a, an eight out of ten in my the games that i played with him and that's over 200 maybe 300 odd games but and that's you know the level of his the performance that he had quiet unassuming but that, that character that drive that determination you couldn't you can't buy that honorable mentions just pretty quickly paul Fucher again I was a young lad coming through, got into the first team. Paul was, was in the team when I made my debut, was then sold quite quickly afterwards to Man City for a lot of money with Ron, his brother. But 
in terms of the tools for a defender, both footed, composure, fantastic, could pass over short, long distance with, with great accuracy, with both feet, read the game well and could compete in the air. So he had everything that should, you know, that was important, that was necessary. He's unfortunately is no longer with us, he passed away sadly a few years ago. But he made that move to Man City, got in the England under 21s and, and had, you know, did well. And I think he might have picked up an injury that again stopped him from potentially going to the heights I would have envisaged that he would have been able to ascend to. But uh, wonderful footballer. I didn't play long enough with him to have him over Mal in my team. Excellent. You mentioned you mentioned just a minute ago about um the yourself, Brian and Walshy getting involved in the England setup and stuff. And that's what I want to touch touch on there a little bit is that you got your first cap, was it in eighty two? Yes, eighty two was it? Yeah, on the eighty two. And you I didn't realize, 23, Ricky, 23 now. And I'm thinking, I didn't realize that until I looked it up, that you're playing in the top division. What, I mean, what, I mean, where was your, where was your head at? Were you thinking, because I mean, I've mentioned this to other people when we've put it on the podcast about your career that Ricky should have easily gone <laughs> to a Tottenham or Arsenal. I don't understand that. I mean, just, I don't understand, but like, I'm now even more so when I'm finding out that you're 23, which is young Ricky, in my opinion, mm-hmm. 23, a full international. Now, I mean, I don't understand how that didn't progress into maybe a, a big top club. Or have you never really thought about it? No, I've done nothing but think about it, Miles. <laughs> <laughs> You, you and I spoke yesterday about, you know, just, just yeah. the, the difference it makes in your life if you have had that association with a top six club. And it's no disrespect to Luton or, or my career or, or, or it wouldn't have, my career might not have been any more further advanced in terms of my playing career because I was respected and renowned for being with Luton and recognised as a Luton town player. So, you know, there's no... No harm and there's no shame in it from that perspective. But by moving to a, a, a big top six club, it gets you then into a different uh, arena in terms of popularity, in terms of yeah. world, world recognition, in terms of those type of things, which after your playing career also come into effect. Because, you know, if I was at a Manchester United, hypothetically, there might be opportunities that I would do work for Manchester, you know, whether that's going overseas and coaching at the, the clinics that they have throughout the whole globe in thailand in china i might be someone that they would call upon to do that i might be involved in corporate entertainment for them you know to do some corporate days for them but because i was with luton and luton don't have that capacity to to bring people in to do those it's kind of again from your next set of your life you move on but going back to your question mark i was so happy playing i was so happy to be given a chance because you know when i i never thought when I was growing up, I would be able to get into football because I didn't see many back playing. You know, there was West Ham had three, Clyde Best, Sally Coker and Clyde Charles um, when I was 13 years old. But they were the only three. And Paul Rini at Leeds was mixed race. And, you know, they were, but in football, we saw match of the day and big match. So there'd be five matches over the weekend and you'd very rarely see someone that looked like you. So I'm thinking, I really want to do this. I don't know how I'm going to get into this thing. I'm good enough, I believe, that I'm going to get enough. And then on top of that, I had Steve Gatting, who played for Arsenal, who was my, um, in my year group at school. And we went through, through the year, all five years at secondary school. He went to a trials at Middlesex when he was 14. I got my Brighton. List. He went to Brighton. Brighton, but he started, started at Arsenal, Mark. 
Right. Okay. So he went to trials at 14 at the county trials. I had broken my wrist and I couldn't go to the trials. Steve was selected for the county. Then he got picked up as uh, Arsenal as a schoolboy. And Steve and I are in the same team. And people would suggest that, you know, he's a fantastic player at that age. We were both were decent. But they would imagine if he got into a professional club, I should have also had the opportunity. But I didn't. And I didn't know where it was going to come from. And it was just by chance, by playing out in Hitching, that I actually got spotted. But going back again to the actual question, I, know, I was so happy to play. I was so happy to be involved in, with a, a group of great lads that I never really looked upon myself as being anything different, anything above. I always remember Coatsy, one pre-season coming up to me. You know, I love Coatsy. He, he said, Ricky, I'm so glad you're here. And I was like, what do you mean? Said, I'm so glad you're here. I said, what do you mean? I'm a contractor. Because what I thought you said, I'm fed up with this. I want to go, I want to go to a bigger club. I, I want to go. It hadn't crossed my mind, man. You're I didn't right. have an agent. I didn't have an agent. I was just happy to play, delighted to be with good lad. And then, but as you go on, and I, I received a phone call at 19 from Arthur Cox. And he said, Ricky, I was at home in Crickwood and picked up the phone. And he says, is that Ricky Hill? I said, yes, this is Arthur Cox. I said, Hi, Mr. Cox. I just want to know if you'd be willing to come up to Newcastle for the Geordie people. So I'm saying, oh, yeah, yes, Mr. Cox. I defy any young player to say no. Right? Yes. So, yeah, of course I would. Yeah, Mr. Cox. Yeah. He said, well, David knows what you think about you. We'll be in touch. Didn't hear another word, Mark. So that was when I was 19. 19. Newcastle. Newcastle United. Newcastle United. United. So, you know, that was the times before Wadler and and Gaz. But it was that era when Arthur Cox was building that type of team. Kevin Keegan and whatever else. But I didn't, but I wasn't bothered because I was still playing. So I didn't go to the manager and start knocking on his door and saying that. But as time went on and people were moving, you know, Paul went and and, and Walshie went to Liverpool and Dave went to Man, Man City and you know, other people. Mount, yeah, but that was later on when I went yeah. to, to, to Man United and Chelsea. But I kind of, other people was leaving and thinking, okay. But I never once was in that position where I really felt aggrieved enough to say, well, I want to move, you know, right. I want to do better. I want to do this. And so, yeah, the, the answer to the question is, I think there was interest. I know there was interest from right. Newcastle when I was 19. I know there was 19. Team. See what I mean? And again, that's, that's, that's great. This is like one of the reasons why I loved doing these podcasts because like being a teammate of yours or whatever, yeah. I never knew all that, never knew of that. And, and I'm sure a lot of the supporters never are going to just hear this now. It's like 19 yeah. Newcastle were like, manager yeah. was on the phone to you. Yeah. 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 So it's one of those things that's passed by and you don't look back in regret, as I say, but you never know what could have taken place. Yeah. No, definitely, definitely. I know Steve Shaw, Nick Wardock, and Rich Robinson all thank Marv for that question. So we did put out on Twitter a load of questions. I don't know if you saw okay. that. Um, yeah. And we had an influx of questions to our email, which is fantastic. Um, question I want to ask you on the same, on the same kind of topic, um, Ricky, while we're on this kind of area. Which club, if you could have gone to anybody in that kind of mid-90s era, sorry, mid-80s era, do you, or kind of early 80s, which club do you think would have suited you the best? And which club do you think you'd have had the most success? Because it's not necessarily the biggest on-paper club, is it? Because it's about the way that you played. So which club do you think you'd have had the most success at? I think I would have probably had three to choose from, in my humble opinion, where I would have fitted into this scheme of things. One would have been Ipswich. Because again, David, David Pleat told me, and again, it was unbeknown to me, Bobby Robson used to put his arm around David Pleat every time he saw him and said, 
when are you going to sell me your boy? And ask him, when are you going to sell me your boy? So that was Sir Bobby. And how much that he, he rated me, obviously, was, was shown by the fact that he was in his first, as his first, yeah. as, in his manager, in his first ever squad that he named, he picked me Thanks, in. Dude. And I'd come up from the Division 2 into Division 1. Hadn't played a game in Division 1 yet. And he named me in that, in that squad. So that kind of reinforced what David said was true. The second team would have been Tottenham. Because I think with Glenn being there and just Tottenham for me was a, Arsenal was the, the team which was George Graham with a different style of play and it's more of a, not as creative, not as aesthetically beautiful in terms of the, of the way that they played the game in that era. Although Liam Brady and those were there. So maybe I'm doing them a little bit of disservice, but Tottenham had that little bit of je ne sais quoi, whereby, yeah, White Hart Lane, Glenn Hoddle being there and Ozzy, if it was even if it was before Ozzy, they always had stylistic players. Nicky Hazard, Vinnie Samways. Yeah. You know, it, was, it was that kind of elegant as well as that, that quality. So Tottenham would have been one that I would have definitely, if I had an agent during that time, I'd say, find out from Tottenham if, if there'd be interest. And in the book, there is a little passage regarding Tottenham later on, which I won't give away right now. Yes, but don't give that away. Don't. Yes, don't. Yeah, yeah. definitely. But, and then the last one would possibly be West Ham because West Ham were also the West Ham way. They, they, they were the academy of football from the 1966 World Cup when they had the three players, Best, Peters and Moore. And they were renowned for playing football in a certain manner. John, John Lyle and, and Ron Greenwood before him. And it, those, those type of people were, it was always in my mind, West Ham were a team. And I supported Leeds, so... Leeds obviously would have been something I would have liked, but London, I'm a London, London boy. West Ham was Trevor Brooking, and I thought I could fit into there. And again, I think I had admirers there um, during my, that period of my career when I was in the, in the second division. Uh, I, I believe I had admirers from Ron Greenwood and also. Those are the three teams that, for me, I would have felt I would have suited in. in nice. and, and, and again, Forest, likewise. Yeah. Did Pleaty ever try and take you to Tottenham? Mm, again, it's not in the book. But it's, <laughs> Is that in the book? It's not, it's, it's not in the book. But, oh. you're, but great. You know, so, again, I don't want to do anyone a disservice speak badly. <laughs> it's not that kind of show. But, yes, David left. And, you know, obviously his career was built at Luton. He did ever so well in terms of recruitment putting the sides together and, and keep, keeping on ref, refreshing and replenishing those sides. Had a great eye for talent, picked players from non-league like Kirk and Mal and, and Paul and Paul Elliott and, and Paul Walsh as youngsters, put them in, you know, Bob Hatton, you name it, Nobby, Paddy, with fantastic eye, Mossy. And he then got, was elevated up from the manner of how we played, which was only right. You know, if Graham Taylor became England manager, then in my estimation, David Pleat should have been there before Graham. And that's not being disrespectful to Graham, but just from the way that David spoke about the game, how he knew the game, how he taught the game, he should have been there. So he got an opportunity to go to a bigger club and no one's going to complain that he left. After his first year and they had the 49-goal Clive Allen, right? And 4-5-1, the great things. My contract expired and he spoke to me about coming to to Tottenham and it would have been quite simple for David to take me contracts and we spoke and we, we, we spoke about things and he said you know what Rick he said if I bring you I may have to change the, the style 
slightly because he plays a four-five-one. You know, Wadsler and and Stevie Hodge on the wings, and Glenn offers someone. So he, he was in his mind mulling, how could I fit in? So he was choosing between me and Johnny Methard, and he went with Johnny Methard because he was a defensive midfielder. And well, it didn't work out for Johnny because he had a back injury, and I didn't actually go to Tottenham either at that time. So that was a, he, he made overtures to it, but he didn't follow through. For yeah, he had to make a choice for best for him and the team, and he done that which is his prerogative. And, and, and this is not being disrespectful to Johnny Metthog, is that you're both totally different players, aren't you? Yeah. Totally yeah. different. Now, if he, yeah. if he would have said, well, I'm, I'm choosing like so-and-so, and you thought yeah. to yourself, well, hold on a minute, he's similar exactly. to me. Then you exactly. feel a little bit, a bit aggrieved. At least yeah. you knew it was a tactical decision rather than a personnel decision. Yeah. And again, you know, it's difficult. Maybe I, I'd had a couple of injuries well, I had I had one injury, which was the one before the or the biggest game that we lost, as far as I'm concerned, when we lost four three in the replay against Watford um, in the FA Cup. The year I think the year they got to the final, I'm not sure, but we played. We drew two all at Kenilworth Road, and then we came in on Sunday and we done some training, and, and he said, "Right, time to go in, or you can do some extra shooting and crossing." And like we normally do, Marv, we always stood out and and done extra because that's just what we wanted to do. It's fun, yeah. and I took a shot and I. I damaged my hamstring. I thought it was my hamstring, but unknown to me, I had this ossification growing in my, between my muscles, like bone that had congealed, blood that had congealed and formed into bone. And it was lying between my, my hamstring muscles and on the side of my, of my thigh. I had two areas and it was unbeknown to me. And I treated it as a, a hamstring injury for a couple of weeks. And then I thought I would, could do full stretches. I could do anything. I could, I could run. But as soon as I tried to run and stride out, a little bit more, I would get a poke in my hamstring and it would get sensitive and swell. Anyway, it was calcification, which is like just bone. I had to have the operation at the end of the year, end of that season. I missed going to the England down under tour with, uh, in Australia, Andrew, where you are, funny enough. And because of that, Bobby Rosson called me and said, Rick, I spoke to the surgeon. He thinks it's best you have the, op- uh, the operation. So I, I, I'm not going to take you, but you're still in my plans. And, you know, from there, I kind of, the remedial um, treatments are different now to what it was then. Yeah. There's so much more information, so much more sports science that you could test, you know, when, you, when you're back to full strength, when you need to do what, it, you know, the stats are there and, and the information. It wasn't there when I was there. So it was two weeks for the stitches and then four weeks rehab. And then I was back playing. I went to Sweden on, um, on loan to Vastaros in Stockholm, just outside Stockholm. And I shouldn't have gone, but because it wasn't enough time for it to heal. And then six months later, they formed back again in exactly the same. And again, that was when Brian and, and Paul got selected for their England thing. So I missed out again. Uh, so that put me back again. I had to take it out and they put your body fat over it to make sure it doesn't grow back again. And touch wood from that moment, it, they never came back. But in my own mind, I felt that I was, a, I was still mobile, but my explosive speed, I, I was quite decent at one night. I felt a difference in it. And I'd never done anything privately to build up the muscles, to check it or at all, because I didn't know. I just continued to play. So I modified my game slightly, passed it a little bit more than I used to dribble, you know, picked my moments when to dribble. So it just played a bit cuter, but yeah. Fantastic. So what we can do is pause here for a break. um, And then when we come back for the second half, we'll hear the rest of Ricky Hill's best 11. 
Thank you for listening to My Best Living Pod. We are currently accepting applications for advertisement and sponsorships. You can reach us at My Best Living Pod or My Best Living Pod at gmail.com. Thank you. Fantastic. So we're back for part two of Ricky's, uh, Ricky Hills, um, My Best Eleven. So far, we've had uh, Finley, Stevens, Hazelwood, Foster, and Donaghy. So Ricky's playing 4-3-3. Over to you, Ricky. Midfield. I don't know how you're going to play. You're going to play holding or two holding or how you're going to do it. I'll let you go. I'm going to play one One. holding, two into out, right and left midfielders. Play from inside to outside. So we allow the fullbacks to to maraud on the outside. You tuck in, drag them in and and, and play progressively. That that width comes later on as opposed to having that created initially from the get-go. I like that. I like that formation for me personally because you get more chance to interlink. You've got, always got an option nearby to play little triangles in the centre field, allow their defence to collapse inwards because you're penetrating through the centre and then you've got the space on the outside for the fullbacks and anyone drifting there to play. So that's how we grew up playing. And I used to, that suited my game and I used to, I love that formation even though we played Is that, that a little field. hint? Is 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 Ricky putting himself in his eleven? Is that is that is that a little hint there? Are we good? No. <laughs> you That's why I was confident I can ask that question. I knew you wasn't. People no. bit, on on the social media for saying, "Oh, the great man deserves to put himself." I knew he was never going to do that. He's far too a, a humble guy to do this. Anything like can't, that. Can't can't marvelous. Right. It's not right. So this right. Uh, person holding mid. This, oh, we start with a holding mid. Okay. Holding mid's good. Holding mid's good, okay. Marvis. So this person, again, leader, right-footed, but can play off both sides, which, you know, any midfield player worth his sorts would try to do that anyway. And this person could do that. Very tenacious. Wasn't, he was a great tackler, but he wasn't one of those people that went to ground unnecessarily so. He was a very smart player, reader of the game. His anticipation and his soccer IQ was such whereby he wouldn't have to be on the stretch all the time or commit himself. He was a captain over a period of time. Do you know who? Andrew. Andrew? No, I'm still thinking. Go on then. Go on, carry on. Yeah. Um, Led us to glories. Went on, came from... Port Vale originally. Went on to manage. He went to another club. Went to another club before coming to us. From Port Vale to someone and then to us. And then went on. And went on to then come back to Luton and, and take a few of our players away from us to, to go and help his side when he became a manager. Why am I so stumped by this? And they were young, up-and-coming players. One that I'm going to mention in a minute. He also, he took them. Gave them, and they all went on and done really well. Had careers, great careers. Played in cup finals, and he was. The, the I'm worried about saying names now after you lot ribbing <laughs> me from right left back. <laughs> Don't be shy, Andrew. You got your miles and two up. You got to come in. Just you got to be brave. You got to come just, in. Just Brian Horton. Yeah, Brian Horton. Brian Horton. Absolutely correct. See, yeah, you got to take the chance, take the plunge, Andrew. <laughs> Listen, you've got to be that choir boy and just sing. Go on, just come, just come out with exactly. it. Exactly. Faint heart, never one fear, lady, right? <laughs> Brian Horton. Brian Horton. The man who spoke very highly of you on social media as well the other day when, when we said yeah. you were coming on. 
again, as a young player, as a young midfielder who wants to impress, that wants to play for England, he was someone that gave me that buffer, that confidence, that belief to go out and do what you do. You know, don't worry about anything else. You go and affect the game. You go and do what you do. I've got you. You know, you go, I'll be here behind you whenever you need me. I'll be pushing on. So for me, I couldn't, it couldn't have been someone. Paddy was great. Paddy was very similar. Paddy Grealish. Another one is, but Nobby just had that little edge over Paddy in terms of that experience from doing the same thing at Bright and at Port Vale prior. And, you know, his quality was, was, um, what's the word? He was under appreciating it for his football ability. You know, he wasn't just that holding midfielder. He was a creative holding midfielder. His little forward passing between the lines, which people go crazy. And, you know, talk about these midfielders. Oh, we can play between the lines. Hold on a minute. Yeah. Brian Houghton was doing that. Paddy Grealish was doing that. You know, numerous players, John McGovern at Forest in that era. It's just not a new phenomenon. They've always had players who could do both sides of the game. You know. He was tough. Well, he was tricky as well. I mean... I mean, I don't. I mean, I don't think I was there when he was there, but I had the impression that it gave me that he was in the mold of like um, Graham Soonis uh, or Jimmy Case. He would like weigh into you and get stuck in. Hundred percent. And again, he had a, another reputation of, of being a little bit naughty at times, but he wasn't. He was hard but fair. Yeah, and he put it on someone. If that person was going to put it on him, he'd do the same thing. And he had these eyes, Marvin. I always remember him playing for for Port Vale, and I, you know, I said to Nob. And he had these piercing eyes, you know, and he'd look through, like, try to look into your soul as if to say, challenge you, you know, without meaning any harm or disrespect. And it wasn't so much verbals, even, you know, but he'd look at you as if to say, you're going to come, do you want some of this, you know? And, it, it was, and that was Nobby in a nice right. way, you know, and it, it wasn't to do intimidate, it was an intimidation. He was that way. It was just him. It was part of his DNA. But in terms right. of courage, in terms of um, the ability to, to raise the team, to lift the team, him and Fozzie, fantastic. In terms of that, that personality right. that could unite, lift, inspire, and we'd all go as a man to war behind them. There was no reverse gear. And the nickname Nobby, is, is that something yeah. you can tell us on the air? I mean, what, what, is, what is that? I've put, what, I've put in the book, I assume. Oh, okay. I, said, I don't want you to say, listen, I don't want oh, you to no, say too much stuff about fine, the book. It's fine, it's No, because this is a, is a relative question, Marvin. I still, I guessed on what I believe it was. I believe it was from Nobby Styles, from the, from yeah. Nobby Styles, yeah. United and the World Cup in manner of how Nobby was tenacious and, and aggressive yeah. and all action purpose midfielder. I assume that's where it came from. And that's what I've put in oh, the... Okay. Fantastic. But again, I've had mentioned Paddy, which was brilliant. Yeah. And, it, you know, those are the two. Fantastic. So attacking, attacking your wide men going, well, you start, yeah, start into, in the middle our, and go wide. Yeah, this one I've got, I've got to get it into the team, even though that right side into out wasn't necessarily his forte, but he had a, he could play anywhere across that midfield. He was very technically gifted. Probably the f- one of the first people that I really looked and thought he protects the ball in terms of shielding it, the ability to, to protect the ball using your arms and your body and keeping your arms in between the man and the ball more proficiently than most of the midfielders that I saw of that era. 
Um, talented, go, moving forward, play off both feet, um, had an eye for goal, very, very much a progressive passer, which I like in, in, in anyone. Um, in a midfield player, particularly if it's not going to be the holding one, you have to be able to play progressively. Where he really excelled for me in his ability, again, to lead by example, ability to unite individuals. He was someone that anyone in the club could go to for advice. He had no ears, no graces. He would encourage, he had time for the young players. He had time for the clubs? older players. Other clubs he, played, been he played for Burnley also. He was an England under-21 international. He was of an... Uh, he's still in Luton now. He never left Luton in his career, throughout his, after his career was over. He played at Luton until he retired. He then managed a local team, which wasn't for a number of years, in the three counties region. No, you're going to have to tell us. I'm done. No way! Hold on. A number of players that left Luton, Mark Burke, Ian Scott, Aaron Ty, Rob Johnson, uh, Les Harriet, uh, would have played for him in this three counties side. We used to play against them most pre-seasons when we were at Hitchin. We got the club. Manager at Hitchin. Manager at Hitchin for a number of years. Ex-captain at Luton. Was captain when they went into, got promoted from the second division to the first division in 1974. Was captain when he, it came down. Andrew, and right, hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm gonna, just going to dive that. You're a fan, Andrew, and I'm a fan. But listen, <laughs> you're a die-hard fan. You need to be bringing oh. something to this day. Come on. You're you're a historian, a, Andrew. Yeah. Come on. I was still a, I was still a glint in, glint in whoever's eye. Thank you very much. I can't remember I, this. I, Andrew, you've not read Luton's 101-year history. You've seen the book that's there. Have you not got that? I'm looking around. I think it actually is somewhere. <laughs> right. <laughs> so you would have stumbled on his name. You would have stumbled uh, on his go name. Go on. Go on, Ricky. Give us a name. Go on. Alan West. Uh, you know what? You know what? I was going to say that. But I thought, you know, you know what? What confused me? I kept yeah. thinking he was the centre back one. He was he not like this? But yeah. what? I remember what a lovely guy. And obviously, I mean, what a real everyone. I mean, such a lovely, lovely, lovely man. And I'm thinking Alan West. But I'm thinking he was a centre back, wasn't he not? That's what. Do you know what? That's when my mind was. Alan West was a centre back, attacking midfielder. Really? Yeah. I I I, I may have gone to school with his son as well. Yes, right. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> <You> sorry. <laughs> Alan, so I had Alan West down as a midfielder. Sorry, as a, as a um, centre back. I don't know why. I don't know. I had it in my head as a centre back, but like, but he was, but he was a player. What did Ricky? I heard proper player, proper footballer, silky. Before on those pitches that were terrible, when it wasn't renowned for players to have that craft. I mean, he he grew up in the Burnley were renowned in the early seventies for having the academy that everyone's talking like Man City Academy now, or right. Chelsea Academy. Leighton James, uh, Peter Noble, Alan West, a number of players that came through were developed at Burnley. They were the creatives. And Wesley had all that charisma, wonderful man on top of that. Interesting point. He went to New Zealand one summer when he was a pro. I think I was first year apprentice. And before he went, he was, he was just a regular person. You know. He came back and he was a born-again Christian, converted. After going there, just one, yeah. The visit there with Kathy, who is his wife, and really? her, her parents lived out in New Zealand. He came back and he was always a great man, anyway. But right. the little things that we used to do as players, Marv, as you know, 
you know, nights out with the beer yeah. and the, whatever else, the excessive stuff. And the, he just like won again. But he, did, he didn't change in any way apart from just saying, I'm committing my. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And he started a church in Luton, hasn't he? I think he That's started right. the church in Luton. Yeah. The fellowship in Luton I mean, on, on yeah. London Road. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So, so that's, easy, my two. that's your two. All right. Here we go. I'm going to get this one. You watch Marv. I reckon I will. Last one. On. Left footed. Left footed. Heart. Big heart. Great timing of the pass. Great range of pass. Tenacious. Technically gifted. I've got it. Lovely sense of humour. Go on, Andrew. I'm going to guess, right? Has he got a stand named after him at Kenilworth Road? I don't know. I ain't been there for a while. <laughs> You're asking the wrong person. I mean, yeah, you got the wrong person. Oh, I, was no, not min- I thought it was Minnie. Where it is, yeah. I didn't realise Minnie had a stand named after him. Okay, yeah. I, I was He's Minnie. Minnie Priest. David Priest. It's Minnie. It's David Priest. David Priest. Told you I'd get it. Andrew, you David did. Priest. Well, David, yeah, he's Marv, got the, um, the you, corner. You let him have it, Marv. You know the corner between Kenilworth yes. and the main stand, that bit up the top one? Yeah. That goes over the top of, that's named after David Priest. Okay, wonderful. Rightly so. Well, I, I mean, again. I was, I was going to lean more towards, obviously, I thought, let Andrew have a little bit, but like, yeah. I was still, <laughs> when you said a little bit, I was struggling a little yeah. bit. Really? I thought you got many straight away. And, and it's no disrespect to the others because, no. you know, like I say, Lil, Lil Fuccello, I could yeah. easily pick Lil. You know, I, I knew, I came as a schoolboy and Lil was, in the first team and doing great things there. Um, also, there were Raddy Antish, again. You know, Raddy was a quality midfielder, played left midfield, superb, contributed greatly to the side when he was in it every time. But Minnie was just someone who came as a young lad and we saw his growth within that side. You know, we saw him blossom into the player that he became, the legend. I don't know how long he stayed at Luton before he left, I mean, 13 years maybe? I don't know, Marv. You you were there yeah, with him for a while. 11, yeah, yeah, 11, 12, yeah. Could 11, easily. right. Great servant, great player, you know, courageous with and without the ball in respect to, you know, yeah. demanding it and always wanting it and playing it. And for me, he shaded it there. Frank Bunn was another one that I'd like to give a great mention. And Wayne Turner, because Wayne had a spell where he came in, you know, the, the, the biggest regret of my career, Wayne played tremendously on that day. Um, against Everton in the semi-final at, at Villa Park, you know, when we lost 2-1. And Gary Parker likewise. But Gary and Wayne, also Gary, for me, because I was there and I was playing right in the field, Gary didn't get as many chances as he should have got in the side. It was either me or him. I don't know why they couldn't play the two of us at times, but they preferred to play either or. But then Gary, Nobby went and got Gary, took him to Hull, had a great career, went to Forest, Leicester and everywhere else, playing in cup finals. Yeah, and Frank Bunn, likewise, another Diggs partner at Mrs. Goffs, who had a great career moving you know, to Oldham, record goal scoring the League Cup for, a, for that period. And these were great players in a great squad. And unfortunately, I can only pick Minnie or as the one that I would go in that. So how did Minnie compliment you? How did Minnie make you a better player? Because his soccer IQ was such whereby, you know, he didn't have to think too long about what he was going to do. He would, before he got the ball, he would know what he was going to do with it. And I think part of my game and, and his game was about that speed of thought and the speed of the ball. And, and David Pleat always used to preach, you know, it's the speed of the ball that beats teams. It's not necessarily the speed of players. You, know, you can have the fastest player on the, in the world, but he can't, if he doesn't know where to run and when to run it, it's not effectual. You can't, yeah, it doesn't mean any, make any difference. 
But with Millie and I, I think we had a, a football understanding similar to other players that are in the team that I'm going to speak about later, whereby that enhanced my game. I believe he'd feel that I enhanced his game. And I think we had a, a team spirit at that period of time whereby, you know, we were great mates. The whole team could go out and we used to, we used to go out all the time. Straight after training, we'd go to snooker hall, you know, and there'd be nearly half the squad, if not more, would be just lounging around the snooker hall. We're playing there, playing crash, doing whatever else, having a laugh, running across the road to put our bet on in, 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 a, in a betting shop. And it was just that environment that we grew up in. But it was like a wonderful time to go to be playing football at the club with wonderful people. A great experience. Wow. And I think I can chirp in a little bit, Rick, about yeah. for me, why, I don't know why I think so many people have you in such a high esteem is that playing and actually seeing you at first hand, it was like, for me, Andrew, is like, it was effortless for Ricky. He, like, he wasn't, listen, it wasn't like it was too easy, but it was like everything he did, it was just like the control, his movement. It was just so silky. And I, and you're looking at him and I'm thinking like, it's, it's just like, it's just gliding sort of thing. And, made it look, and you know what, in our terms, Ricky, as, as professionals, you weren't mm. fighting with the ball. I mean, you weren't stiff yeah. or trying yeah. to fight with the ball. You were just like loose, so to yeah. speak. You know? And, you know, it's only dawned on me, Marv, in regards to my evolution. I was probably one of the first black centre midfielders that played in that kind of um, passing, you know, that, that kind yeah. of main man type of thing. Black players are normally the centre forwards, the centre halves, the wing, the, the right or left back, you know, quite aggressive, or the, the wide ones, Franz Carr and, and, and Benno yeah. and different people, like John Chidozi before them. And, you know, but I was one of the first like, creative midfielders who was a, a kind of a cog of a team. Yeah. And then after me, Rocky, who played similar right hand side to in a little bit, and then Paul Davis came. And it was like right. Davo was then the next kind of generation so yeah because I didn't see, i see yeah. i see somewhere i read somewhere that jamie regnap said you was the player yeah. he was modeling his i mean yeah. imagine that i mean again listen yeah. you're top top player but jamie regnap again liverpool yeah. and england like, he's saying yeah. like ricky hill was the yeah. one i was like aspiring to when i was growing up i spoke to jamie three days ago about another and he reminded me of that I don't know, he just said, Rick, I used to come with my next door neighbours a Luton supporters, come and they used to idolise you. And then Harry endorsed it like 15 years ago. I met Harry, I saw Harry. He said, Ricky Hill, Ricky Bloody Hill. He said, Ah, oh, Jamie. Everybody's going, Ricky Hill this, Ricky Hill that, pictures on the wall when he was growing up. You know, that's that. Like, Harry's telling me that. It's great. It's a great compliment to me that it was there. But again, for, as you say, Marv, the thing that allowed me to do that, to play in that match, was I had this in this ability inwardly to not care about mistakes. I had total amnesia when it came to, or, or failing. It didn't bother me. I, I, I wanted to be involved in the game. I wanted to play. I wanted to affect the game. And if I messed up, I won't mess up next time. You know, where, where I would think I, my intelligence took me was if I gave the ball away, I would ensure I, it hurt me. And I'd ensure next time I got it, I wouldn't give it away. And I, but I'd always try to be progressive, but not reckless. You know, and, and I think that kind of helped me to think, well, hold on, I'm just going to go and express myself. Again, my teammates want me to do that. I had license to do that for my manager. 
you know, I got encouragement from my teammates with whether I was successful or whether I failed. So that enabled me like to go on that. As a young lad, Rick, was you like that? I mean, again, <laughs> I don't know who your youth team coach was. Was you was you like that from the get-go that, like, yeah. you know what, I'm just going to express myself. And you didn't have a coach saying, pass the ball, do this. Because there's so much, I mean, your coach, I'm a coach today. I mean, I coach <laughs> girls over here. And I'm so big on girls. Listen, do not worry about making mistakes. I'm thinking now, right, I'll make mistakes. Everyone makes mistakes. Like, listen, I will never shout at you. I, my best thing, you always say that, Coach Mark. I will never shout at you for just, like, if you make a mistake. I'll shout at you, though, if the ball comes to you, you just boot it up in the air and you just kick it. I will come for you, I said. I will come for Great. you. Great advice, Mark. Because ultimately, my, my philosophy was, and it has been, everyone who plays football plays it because they love it. From a young child, we, we, we fall in love with the game. We don't know where we're going to play. We don't know what position we're going to play. But we love football. We want to play football. And we, we make our... So when you become a professional, or a, that love should never go. And you loved it because it was the ball. You didn't love it because I wanted to go and smash someone or I'm going to head it and boot it 50 yards. You loved it because you wanted to have that interaction with the ball. So yeah. for me, I, and I, this, is, this is another story. I haven't got this in the book, but the first time... I ever saw someone lay cones down in terms of a coaching session was when I came to Luton at 15 years old. So it's 16. Wow. I had never been coached. I had never been taken to a coaching session where someone had put cones down and said, do this, do this, do this, do that, do that. It was all self-taught in the park with your mates, playing for boys brigade, playing for school, playing for that. And it was just that I taught myself by watching football and trying to take bits and pieces from all the best players that I saw. Pele headed like this. Uh, Bobby Moore did this. Johnny Giles passed off both feet. Eddie Gray dribbled by dragging, doing drag backs or stepovers. Terry Cooper dribbled by driving someone and dropping his shoulder. George Best did this. Bobby Charlton shot off his left foot, right foot. And I took all of it like a computer and said, I want to do that. And I'd go and practice on my own because I love football. I didn't need company. I didn't need my mate up the road to say that. I didn't need my older brother, who was just as good as me, to come and play with me. I'd go and use the wall back to front. And that was, that was how I learned. That's, that's how I developed my skills. And, and, and that's proof in the pudding. Because normally, I mean, I, I mean, you just mentioned your brother there. Did he not play at all? Because it's normally the older brother plays and then, then the next brother down comes and start, like watches and learns from him. And even though the older brother didn't quite have it, the younger brother into him so early got the the the, the detail yeah. now he goes and makes it yeah my older brother people said was, was better than me at, as a young age right so my older brother was left footed he played like liam brady he, he got three university degrees he's got a two one at oxford plus a degree at leicester plus liverpool plus a degree at east anglia so he's bright he's academic he's bright he's, but in that era clubs were inviting black players he was nearly three years older than me, two and a bit years older than me. And there was other players that played with him that I grew up in awe of. I want to play like him, but they were never embraced by a system. And I've yeah. mentioned that, in, I mentioned it in the book in terms of the climate, how it's changed and how was yeah. I going to get in there? And it was just that, you know, there was all different stereotypes going on about black people and what they could and couldn't do. And it was just that era. And right. he was just fit to me. He didn't have the, the passion that I had to play, yeah. Uh, but he loved the game. He, he followed West Ham in their notorious days, home and away. He'd go. He loved football, but 
he didn't have that where I, this is what I want to do. Right. This is what I want to do. Whereas I did, that was a different. Interesting. So moving on to your four players, we've got three up front or kind of up front. Yeah. Let's go wherever you like in any, in any order. I'm going to I'm get going, none of them. I, ha- I have to play with a target man because we've always played with a target. Although we've played two small forwards at times with Brian and Paul. Uh, initially, we started with Ron Futcher as a target man when I first got into, into the team. But then Ron left with his, his twin, Paul. And then we had a number of players that came in after that as number nine. Um, this person, again, personality suited this team. Technically gifted, had a great football awareness in regards to knowing not only how, how you compete, but how you, you link everyone involved in the game. Being, being proficient back to goal, being proficient when he's on the move to take the ball and play and then get himself into positive areas. He, um, what do you call it, occupied two central defenders all the time. You know, no one could afford to go and uh, go man for man with no cover behind or no assistance close by. So he was that focal point. He, he was great at receiving from long distances or in, in tight areas. You could also, speed of thought was, was good enough, more than good enough to be able to bring people into the game and recognise moves and patterns that was developing. And also brave as a lion, scored goals with, with both feet and his head. I'm sure Go on, Andrew, you got it. You're gonna, what, I'm actually going to go curveball now because I, it's actually, I'm not going to give the, the obvious answer. And the reason, okay. I know what the answer is, but the reason for this is I want to talk about international career. So I'm going to guess Gary Lineker. No. Now, I will get back to who it is because we all know who it is. But um, I just wanted to ask, so in terms of when you played, when you got the chance to go play for England, yeah. just can you just talk us through the moment you got the phone call or the, the, the letter or how it kind of... Sorry? Yeah. The telegram back then, it could have been one of the notes. <laughs> Carrier pigeon, whichever one it was that got it to you. Um, yeah. how, how, first of all, can you just talk us through how that felt at that moment? Um, was it because a lot of players as, say it's one of the proudest moments of their lives? The club get notified before we do. Okay. So the, F, the FA phone the club or send, as Miles said, a telegram, fax machine, I think at the time, through to them to let them know that I've been selected for the squad. The manager will then come down, pull me aside and say, Ricky. Congratulations, they said, you know, you've made it. I mean, without a doubt, proudest, one of the proudest moments of my life and my career, um, because it's the culmination of that first moment. The first moment when I fell in love with the game was I seen Albert Johansson line up for Leeds versus Liverpool in the FA Cup final. He was in a South African left winger, white kit, black person like me, and I transported myself into his body as that's me, I'm at that place. I didn't have no idea what it was, who the team was or whatever. Asked my brother who the team was, said Leeds United, oh great, that's my team. Still my team today, that was my team from that moment. But to then go through the whole progression of growing up in Brent, home of Wembley Stadium, you know, the the mecca of world football, being to Wembley Arena as an 11 year old, playing an under 14 final for the Metropolitan Police competition, evening standard tournament. Mm -hmm. 10,000 people there, scoring the winning goal at 1-0, I'm 11, under 14 game. Boom, next stage. Selling programmes at Wembley Stadium as a 13-year-old. I was supposed to be 15, but my brothers 
were going and my cousins were doing it. So they got me involved with a satchel underneath the tunnel, Leeds versus Liverpool, F- charity shield. So the, Wembley's always been a part of my life. And all of a sudden now, England, I'm one of the 23 best players in the country at a professional level that are born in England. And going even further than that, I'm one of the five or six midfielders that are selected at this moment in time. So all those things coming together, the journey culminating in that moment when you're selected makes you feel 10 foot tall. It's wonderful. Was it, was it sim- I mean, some, similar to what it is now? Maybe not because of the, the, the coverage, but was there wind? Did you get wind? Even though you know you're not going to say, oh, I deserve to play for England, but did you get wind? Oh, I'm playing well. I could get a call up or, or hear of any rumours that you could be in the squad. No, none at all. You know, again, I didn't know Bobby Robson, Sir Bobby, was such a big admirer. Again, I knew I had no admirers. I knew Ron Greenwood. It was mooted that I might have had a late shout for the 82 World Cup when they took Trevor Brookin and Kevin Keegan when they both had injuries going into the final. And they were talking about who could replace him of a similar style offensive-wise, and my name was mentioned. And I believe, and I don't know how true it was, that Ron Greenwood had asked whether I could play in a testimonial at West Ham. This was years before he became manager um, England. Uh, so I knew that they admired me, but I never really spent time thinking, oh, I'm going to be involved in England. I remember, I'm coming out of the old second division, Mark. Right. You know, I'm not even playing a game in the first division. Yet, but right. I was, play- I was playing at a level in that league, and people have said before that I was probably one of the two best players in the second division that weren't currently in the first division at that right. time, you know? So it came out of the blue. I was very grateful. Um, it was wonderful to be amongst those, the ilk of those players at that time, you know, whether it was uh, Trevor Francis, um, Ray Wilkins, Brian Robson, midfield people, peers that I always held with esteem, but, you know, obviously respect, but also loved competing against them. Steve Copples, um, who else would have been there? Tony Morley, obviously Big C, Cyril Regis, and Paul Mariner, Terry Butcher, you know, Peter Schilt and Ray Clements were the goalkeepers. You know, these are stalwarts and great people and great men. So it was a great feeling. I relished it. And again, going there with no fear. Mm. It's the same way that I approached my career all the way through from a child to professional. I went to the England camps with that same thought of mind. I'm not going to be inhibited. I'm going to show you this is how I play. This is what I do. And I think I'm disappointed that I didn't gain more caps because I think my ability and the level of ability that I showed even in the camp was enough to suggest that oh, he, he's worth more of a look than what we're giving him now. You know, give him a, a chance to establish himself. The, 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 the one full game that I played at, against West Germany at Wembley, Great game to play, iconic game. But I was asked to play right of a four, which I've never done in my whole career, ever. So this, to, you know, I played afterwards when Ray Arthur came in, but up to that point, I never. So, you know, so Bobby liked the outside wingers who would go up and down in straight lines, possibly, where I was never a straight line guy. I was into out and all over the place. Yeah. So he said to me, Ricky, I know you don't play in that, but would you, um, you could do a job for me there. You, you wouldn't mind doing it. I said, of course, Sir Bobby, you know, my pleasure. You give a go, playing for England. And I think, you know, I equipped myself fairly well on the night and well enough, you know, to be continually brought into, back to the squads, continually, every time he had a squad, I was involved. 
I've done well. He'd call David Pleat up apparently and say, I didn't realize Ricky Hill was so good at this, so good at that. I didn't realize. And Brian Singer didn't realize they were that, you know. So we had admirers, even amongst the national manager. And whether it was the small club syndrome that went against us respectfully, when the press were pushing for the guys that were associated with the big clubs and the, the fan base, the Villas and the, the, the Liverpools and the May United, and they got preference over us because of that. I don't know, but I never know. But uh, yeah. it, was a, it was an honour to be involved. Yeah. Who's the best player you ever played with in England? See, Glenn, Glenn, Glenn was my favourite player when I was growing up, Glenn Hoddle. Um, yeah, I admired Glenn because, again, I saw similarities in, in how he played, the looseness of it. The, the, the way that he would manoeuvre the ball off both sides. He could use the outside of his left foot as equally as good as the outside of his right foot. You know, that kind of dexterity of his, of his feet was, was tremendous. And I used to say, oh, yeah, Glenn, I used to admire his style stylistically. I admired Ray Wilkins. You know, Ray, for me, got a raw, raw deal in respects of people labelled him a negative type of passer. When Ray Wilkins broke into Chelsea's team and captained Chelsea's team at 17, 18 years old, he was that forward-thinking midfielder, run onto the end of things, shoot from long range off both feet, and very progressive in, in his passing. Obviously, Brown Robson, you can't help but admire the tenacity, the quality, the all-round game that he, that he brings, that, that, that verve for the game that can lift people just by watching him. So it was... A great era to be involved in, in, in the game. I had different qualities to some. They had different qualities than me. But I think on the international side, David Pete once said, for him, to me in the dressing room, if he was the England manager, the midfield three he would play would be me, Brian Robson, and Glenn Hoddle. So that's what his midfield three narrow would have, would have been. Now, David was before his time because he was playing with a three narrow, like Brian Clough did at, at Forest. But lots of teams played at a 4 4 2. Yeah. You know, a basic 4 4 2. So, to answer my question, Glenn Hoddle? Yeah. Glenn, yes. Glenn Hoddle. Glenn Hoddle. So, we get back to your your striker up front, Marv, who Mick is. Harford. So, your Mick main Harford. target man up front is Mick Harford. Yeah. Mick Harford, for sure. Great man, great friend, and great player. Mr. Mr. Luke. <laughs> but, but not only that, but I think one of the biggest things, Ricky, what I think people didn't realize is that for his size, his touch. It was a joke, wasn't it? It was an absolutely spot on. It's, uh, um, you know. But I'm sure, I don't know if you had, if you had Mick. But I'm sure yeah, we had Mick, would, yeah, we had, but, yeah. I'm sure, because, you know, Mick had a few cars before Luton, but I'm sure when he came to Luton, he found an environment that suited him down to the ground. With players, the people that were there, it was, it was made for him as well. That in- yeah. He comes across as really quiet. Um, was he that way in the, on the pitch? He wasn't, but on in the dressing room, was he that way? No, he was. He's never loud. No. Um, I don't think we, we we had a lot of different personalities. A lot of different. Mick was one who would, could go either way. He could be quiet when he, when necessary, or he could be amongst it when when needed to be. But he was always be one that would be on the front foot if there was any kind of difficulty period whereby people were questioning. Yeah, our metal, so we say, you know, as a team or individually, and that would be on the field or outside of the field. You know, he, he was that kind of strong, determined personality, but still had that softness and a gentle kind of 
aura to him, which I guess all the players could gravitate to, whether they were young or I remember times at Luton in certain senior pros, the young players would be frightened to death of them. You know, we had, you just have to knock on the first team dressing room before you could go in because the personalities were such whereby, you know, you'd get a volley and it wasn't sometimes said in a loving manner, you know. So, no, I, was like, I was one of them. Don't worry, I was one of them, trust me. Right, Mark. You've I mean, been through it. Yeah, exactly. And I've spoke about it before. Like, if you used to get everything done, Bricks, before you pros came in because if you had to go in that dressing room for whatever reason you knew you weren't getting out for a long time <laughs> not because obviously they're going to beat you up but because it's going to be Marv can you go down the road and get me this this and it's like you can't say no <laughs> I mean the men down the bottom of the road to get like a pasty for you lot and all that fuzzy to get the money out and go Marv go down the road and the bus is leaving Ricky the bus is leaving for me to go to the, I had to run up there and walk up there I couldn't turn around and go no Foz I had to get the money and go that's that's your warm up out the way Mark yeah. <laughs> no but you're right it, it was an environment that you've either strung it built your character because yes, you know, you look at you know it's a character building thing it wasn't meant to be a bully thing but you're no, right no it, not it, once did I think it was bullying not once that, that's the truth it, it was not, for, not for faint hearts though yeah, in today's net now, people might say, oh, that's, yeah. that's being bullying. Yeah. Not. Nothing, nothing at all. It was done in a loving, tough love. Yes, that's you know, Tough love. You know, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. It doesn't hurt. No, definitely. Right. Definitely. Moving on. So, moving on, right or left, yeah. either side of Mick. Okay, so I'm going to put someone a little bit closer to Mick. Um, so he's not totally on the right wing, but he's not. He's in the middle with Nick. He's just on the right hand. Right. And this person, again, someone that didn't have a traditional upbringing through the, the football fraternity, shall we say, of schoolboy school player into apprenticeship, into professional environment. He's someone that came through, through the grassroots, came into Beanie. Beanie. A, Beanie. As a young age. Absolutely. Come in quickly, Marv. That's right. On, Andrew. I was giving you a chance. Andrew, I was <laughs> Come in quickly. Andrew. You shouldn't have waited, Andrew. You should have just said it. No, no, it's father. fine. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> it, I remember about, I, I can't remember whose it was, but he's gone, he's gone, Andrew said the name, and he's gone, yeah. oh, come on, Marv, my back's hurting me carrying you here now. Marv, my back. <laughs> remember, <laughs> remember that, Andrew? <laughs> oh, I said it. I said, don't worry, I'll have my day. And look at it. I will answer it properly. Brian, <laughs> Steve. <laughs> Absolutely. Brian, Steve. <laughs> and... And you know, I'm, I'm omitting. Player. I'm I'm omitting. For I speak about Brian, I'm omitting Paul Walsh, right? Who again? What a, what a player Paul Walsh was. And the only reason I'm taking Paul again, you know, I find it difficult to put him in, was the fact that the length of time that he spent at the club and the success we had with these other players resulted in championships and cup finals and whatever else. So for me, that's why. Sometimes other people get edged out and other people right. don't. But yep. Paul was a, a fantastic uh, person for ability. Look at how he was built and his size to be able to do what he'd done, to have the career that he had, to play in the manner that he did. It's incredible. You know, I, I was on the field with him and of course, and my, my role was to, to get him the ball and then just watch the magic unfold. And the same with Brian. And then Paul, again, fearless, had, had a style about him that, not really seen that often in that era. Gary Shaw might have been another one that played that way. Peter Beersley, obviously, you know, and these are very creative. Paul Goddard had little pieces, bits and pieces of, of that ability. But 
you know, again, I had to leave Paul out. I had to leave Steve White out, who carried, again, mainstay when we got that push for four years or three years to get out of the second division and first division. Steve led that line so supremely well, you know, channels into it, held it off, scored vital goals, quick, frightened people because, you know, he was athletically quick and endure and had the endurance to go with it. Never let people rest, work people hard across the line, you know, was not malicious, not nasty, but definitely someone that knew how to compete in a fair and proper manner. And again, great character, you know, was a brunt of a lot of banter and jokes, took it great, came back because he was from the West Country, Chalky White used to call him, but he used to come back with his lines and crack it. And it was just beautiful to, to witness. Um, and then obviously Brian came when he came from Edgware Town. Imagine being coming to Edgware Town and then like three weeks, four weeks later, you're playing that main road in the League Cup. Still developing, had no formal senior professional development program in terms of you know going into the gym and, and working in the gyms in the afternoon and doing all the... The, the laps that we used to do on a Tuesday, the half laps and the full laps to build your stamina. Brian came without all that, but still bit by bit, put that pyramid in to him, develop that foundation of fitness, along with his ability to beat people. I wrote a passage in a book about Brian back to goal, how in my estimation, he was more dangerous at times with his back to goal than he was facing them. Because people would think, oh, back to goal, he's not going to get past me. There's no way. And he'd drop his shoulder, manoeuvre the ball with the outside of his other foot, spin and be gone. And the defenders would be frantically trying to scramble to drag him back. But where Brian and I really um, excelled was we both had a kind of understanding, a telepathy, whereby I, I, when I had the ball, instinctively I knew where Brian would be. You know, without, I might have checked, but, I didn't need to because I knew he would be in and around here. And all I had to do was get the ball to him away from the defender at the right pace and let him then protect it, which you never give it away cheaply, make the right option or decide to dribble or use me again. And we developed this thing where it was kind of like poetry. It was just poetry in motion. It was just smooth and effortless. And we never once spoke about it. We just knew it was an understanding that was born, you know, innate between the both of them. Um, so for me, and Brian could finish. He could finish on his right foot, very clean. He could, you know, he'd pass the ball into the net. He'd shoot from long range. He'd use both feet, good in the air, brave. The amount of penalties that Brian got by putting his leg out, where I, I don't see the modern day footballer putting his leg out. He'd put it knowing that the defender's not going to get the ball anymore. He's going to get his leg. And, yeah. you know... He just tow it and then suddenly contact was made, penalty. And there he was. And then if he didn't fight for the ball to take the penalty because Mossy would have grabbed it first, then, you know, if, if Mossy wasn't there, he'd take it because he wanted to the goals. It was all about goals. Likewise with Nick, but Brian was... Uh, and and our, our relationship off the field was even tighter during that period than what it was on the field. You know, we both, we're from London. We grew up from London, similar backgrounds, our parents. I was friends with all his family. He was friends with our family. I traveled up with him after I left Mrs. Goss and I wasn't driving at the time. And Brian picked me up every day from my house in Crickwood. So we just grew as brothers, you know? And then we obviously took Mark along with us and Mark grew. And Mark is another one that, again, 
just because the length of time he's staying at Luton or else he would have possibly been in there as well. My point is, you know, there's so many. Roy Wegerly, what talent he was, you know, as a footballer, as, a, as yeah. an artist of the game. And again, I can't get him in the side. So it's Brian and Nick at the moment for the So last position, last place. Andrew, in the you team. Have to get this one, Andrew. Easy. I'm going to go without him even talking. You guys are going to. Get no, it. you should have got it, Andrew. Come on. Moss. Mentioned him. There you go. Yeah, David Moss. David Moss. Ernie, as we used to call him. Ernie Moss. Uh, Ernie. Yeah, Ernie was. He got that nickname, pet name, nickname. We were at. I can't remember. We were up north. No, it might have been Gillingham or pre-season. And he was standing there. So we're in the line, the announce, the announcer's calling out who's playing. And we're inside, and the announcer says, right, you know, number nine, Bob Hatton, number 10, Brian Steen, number 11, Ernie Moss. <laughs> We've all looked across the line. <laughs> it's uh, David Moss, we called him Ernie. So from that moment, that, that <laughs> name stuck with him. Or Mossa, you know, but Ernie or Mossa, you know, one of the two. Again, ability wise, He's another one, jewel, a gem that David Pleat somehow unearthed. He'd been at Swindon for God knows how many years prior to coming to Luton. And suddenly from Swindon, he came to Luton. And here's this player that John Robertson is rightly given plaudits for his amazing ability. But I don't see that much difference between what John Robertson did for Forrest and David Moss did for, for Luton. In fact, Mossy would have had the edge for me with his left foot. Um, John Robinson might have had the edge in terms of his Romario where to drag it, drag it in shoulder and, and beat his defender. But in terms of the football IQ, both of them magnificent. David Moss, his range of pass with either foot, magnificent. I was a beneficiary of numerous cross-field diagonal passes where Mossy had put into the space where I would run beyond the left back or in between the centre-halves. And they were on the money waiting for me, dying as I got there to then go and move forward and shoot or to cross for someone else. So underappreciated in world football. And again, in the right environment, right time. Tony Morley, I know, was a great player and he was in England's outlet as that left winger. And Tony was a a more dynamic left winger than probably Mossy was. It was more skill and craft. But Mossy should have been in and around that, that England environment again in my estimation i'm yeah. only going on the fact that i trained and see him every day i played with right. him and i've gone to england squads and i've seen those players at close quarters and i know that david had as much ability as those guys if not more in some occasions and in terms of penalties and finishing and free kicks the creme de la creme fantastic fantastic so there we go that is ricky's best 11 so I, before before i end uh, one last person I have to. Uh, go on, go on. You can edit it in, please. Mekanajobi. Mekanajobi, in terms of, he, he's the perfect example of, like Ian Wright and the story of Ian Wright, whereby Ian Wright had 13 clubs turning down before Crystal Palace took him and his perseverance got him there. And what Ian Wright done was phenomenal. But Mecca was a further education student. His parents wouldn't let him play football. Left university at 23, 24 and played three weeks at Dulwich Hamlets before a new number of clubs were wanting his signature. He then came to Luton. And again, all, straight away, the first session I had with Mecca, we went to Stopsley Gym, Mark, and we had the five-a-sides, and Mecca was on my team. And straight away, without 
knowing him, without seeing him play, we had this synergy and this understanding. I would know where he was, the way he protected the ball, the way he moved. And sad for me that his career became impeded and interrupted again through an injury, and the same as Mike Saxby, which unfortunately was something that Mecca it went undetected initially. And by the time it was detected, it was too late for it to be reformed. And that stopped him from possibly having a, an even greater impact on the game than he had, even though he had a great impact. And, he, and, he, and he, he played it for his country, didn't he, as well? He was an international, oh, yeah. didn't he? Yeah. He was Nigeria, wasn't he? Was he Nigerian? Nigerian yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, before John Fashionu and those that were going out there, Mecca was out there as an international. And a quality he never person. did weights. Never did weights. And he was like a muscle, wasn't he? Muscle, muscle, muscle on top of muscle, Marv. Yes. Yeah, muscle growing on top of muscle. And the, sad, the funny thing about that, where Mecca's concerned, he couldn't do one abdominal sit-up. He could not do <laughs> one abdominal sit-up. He would be crying yeah. about, oh, the, oh, gaffer, no, 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 no. But Rit, he had a 12-pack. Yeah. He had muscles going on top of muscles, honestly, specimen. Okay. But the, one of the loveliest men in football. Yeah. And he's still in touch? Unfortunately, we lose touch. People move. I, I've been no, a yeah. time and he's moved on. I, last time we hooked up was at the reunion at the Luton Who three years ago, come up three years this year. David Pleats, team of the 80s. And Mecca was there. It was great to see him. He's looking well, doing great. His family's all well. And he's still in the pharmacy, pharmaceuticals in the agency. Fabulous. So you picked your team. Here's your 11. Yeah, who's the leader? Who's your manager? Oh, it's quite simple. I mean, it could only be one. Although, when you and I spoke, Marvin, you mentioned about Danny Begara. Yeah. Uh, about you could have a youth team one. Yes, exactly. Them. And you, again, Danny and David are the two people that I would credit as being the most influential for me to get my opportunity. Because unbeknown to many people, I um, was spotted. Then I came for trials. And I was signed as a schoolboy player. And then at Easter, you have the trial for like the final trial before they take the apprenticeship. Uh, anyway, give the apprenticeship. So I came to that trial at Easter and kids from all over the place came and whatever. And I didn't do so well at that trial. And the standout player was Tim Smith. And Tim Smith was at Mrs. Goss with me in Diggs eventually, right? From Gloucester, mixed race, lovely boy. And Tim, unfortunately... One day Danny came, I'm just, I digress slightly, but I just got to let you know this one, Mark. One day Danny came and he, we're in the boot room, we're doing our boots and he pinched the back of our hamstrings, Tim and I, and I, and he kind of grabbed it and we had shorts on and he said, um, I think you need to lose a couple of pounds. And he said to Tim, I think you need to lose a couple of pounds. Okay, Danny, you know, I'll train hard. You know what I mean? I wasn't too bothered about weight in them days, Mark. I was an apprentice. No. Right. So I, I went home, didn't think nothing of it. Tim went home. And said to Mrs. Goff, Mrs. G, um, I, I don't want to have this food anymore. Can you do me haddock and salad or whatever else, right? So he took it on board, what Danny said, to try and drop the weight. Long story short, I'm still having my normal stuff and cheese on toast at nine o'clock, you know, put you to bed, Marv, the fizzy drinks in between, all the things we used to do. The penguin in the morning, biscuit. Tim, from that moment, he started to lose weight, but with the weight, he started to lose his power. He started to not be the same player. And he started to then, and he, he developed a semi kind of food disorder whereby he wouldn't eat whatever time. And then Mrs. G would have certain things and he'd, he'd be he'd like binge eat afterwards, but then probably, and, and 
if there was one person out of that trial, 70 kids, that, you, that they would have put their money on that, that he was going to make it. Tim was the one that deserved to be there. What happened, Tim played one first team game. He made his debut against Orient, 1976, I think. And I played with him. And then after that, he drifted, drifted, drifted. Unfortunately, he went to Wimbledon and he never got the career that he should have done. And it was not that it was Danny's fault or anyone's fault, but just, you know, the words sometimes that people yeah. take on and you, and you go from there if you're not careful. But Danny said to me when I was an apprentice, he pulled me one afternoon on, on the side of the, he said, Ricky, he said, with what you have, I'd be amazed if you're not one of the best players in, in, in your position in, in, in a few years. He told me that and I was a first year apprentice, Marv. And I'm like, first year about, apprentice? Yeah. You know, just because I was still, I hadn't signed my pro yeah. contract yet. So I was, you know, just coming up to 17, right? I've only been there five months. And he, he, he was all about skill. He would tell me, do, what you, do this, do that. Anyway, so Dan would have been someone. But he left. He left in the year later when David got the job. He left with Harry Haslam to become first team coach with Harry Haslam. And David took over as manager. So Danny then went on to be a great manager at Stockport for many years and do well. But it, it has to be David Pleat because he was there at the beginning. He saw me in my very first game playing for my schools out in Hitchin. He was there, so was Danny, so was Ron McCrowan. He brought me in as a, on a trial. He'd encourage me, even when they weren't sure whether I was going to be a player, Mark, because I didn't get an apprenticeship when all the others did. Right. And again, I was partly to blame. Uh, girls and, and side tractions and Chelsea had come into me, give me this, and my school teacher had said, he can get me to West Ham. And, and again, you know, when you're young, you don't know what to expect. And there'd be no one before me. So I was kind of, should I, shouldn't I, should I, should, what am I doing? So they didn't give me an apprentice. And then one day Harry Hasson called me. Um, they called me to play in a reserve game, a midweek reserve game. And I said, I said to the secretary, I'll oh, tell the gaffer, I've got a school event, I can't make it. And, she, and Sheila was the secretary. She goes, Rick, hold on, I think the gaffer wants to have a word with you. The Harry Hasson came to me, he goes, Ricky, he said, come along, play tonight. You'll have plenty of time for school um, um, celebrations or... Yeah, presentations another time come down and I'll speak to you after the game I played that night and Godfrey Ingram played as well and I played really well Marv and Brian Swain said to Harry Hassan, who's that well and Harrison said please don't don't print anything we haven't got him signed yet all right so he didn't sign it so then, then that's when they offered me apprenticeship and that was November and my mum didn't want me to do it because I didn't think football was a career for me I wasn't going to be any good at it. I might get injured and you want to be your education, all that. And my brother said, mum, he's good enough. So, but David Pleat would be someone who was tailor-made stylistically to nurture my, my skill set. He would be the one that would lead at that team. And we'd, uh, we'd win the chat. We'd win the, the premiership with that team. <laughs> I with, this modern day, with this modern day football, I think yeah. we would because, because at the moment teams just don't want to go for, for goals. They just want to, contain until someone scores yeah definitely. yes definitely so um questions we like to ask next is um yeah regarding Luton because obviously I'm a Luton fan despite my yeah. appalling record at guessing what's the best or the most memorable Luton game you've ever played in or been a part of hmm. there's a few memorable ones yeah my debut is obviously memorable the Everton semi-final defeat is memorable it's the saddest memory but it's memorable, albeit it's, it's got to be the Little World's Cup final, just from the most memorable, because, you know, it's 135 years of history of the club looking to put a domestic trophy on the board, um, on, in the cabinet. 
it's the fact that right up until the Wednesday before that, I had no idea where I'd be involved because I'd received a broken leg at Goodison on Boxing Day, 1986. Seven? When's, when was final? 88, right? 88, yeah. 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 So 1987. So I'd received a broken leg then. I had played no games. We'd lost to Wimbledon in the semi-final. We'd lost to Reading in the Simwood Cup, all in a span of three weeks. And I'm myself, Minnie, Mecca, we were injured, and we're fighting to try to become fit. And I had no idea whether. So just from the mere fact that because of Darren McDonald's unfortunate injury picked up during the week of that, I then became possibly jettisoned closer towards yep. Ray Harford's mindset and train of thought. And to then to get the call up for that game, even though I was up to that time, I'd been heavily strapped in everything that I'd done. I had to have a heavy strapping on my ankle. The ankle would swell up after any activity and before. But I was prepared to, I don't want to miss that day. I've been at the club 13 years. I, this is a, a day at Wembley. It's another chance to, to go home for me, the Borough of Brent, cup final with Luton Town. So from a memorable standpoint, great. Wasn't my finest performance? Of course not. I was just ho- glad that I was there. I'm glad I tried to coach myself to do the simple things well. Don't try anything too ridiculous. Play within it. And I was glad that I managed to see the whole 90 minutes through and ultimately the side become victorious. And it was deserved for not only the players and the staff, obviously, but the supporters as well, because the supporters have been magnificent to me throughout my whole time at Luton Town to give them that moment as exception and then to go back the following year another day out albeit I um I remember that um because I was in a squad for the the final stud so you didn't play no games did you I mean leading up to the game you'd I mean I remember the time it's a case where you you knew you eventually using the play and you had nothing behind you and just again like you said you got through the game I mean you wasn't like woeful you wasn't outstanding but like you kept things simple and you just kept things ticking along and it must be great. I mean, because I know I look back now and think, I, I mean, yes, I'm thankful and grateful that I had a career, but I didn't, let alone play in a, a, a cup final of any sort, you played in a cup final and won, which yeah. again, mm-hmm. is fantastic in the memory for the club throughout history. Absolutely. Fantastic. So, um, we also like to ask now what you're up to, what you're, what you're currently yeah. doing. Um, yeah. And I know, as I mentioned at the start of the pod, you've got a book coming out um, on the 15th of March, which those people on YouTube can have a look right now. Um, looking very beautiful as a, as a still like game show host there. It looks, no diff- it looks no different. It's like Benjamin Button. <laughs> I've dyed my hair this colour, Mark, just, just to be trendy. <laughs> <laughs> so um, can you tell us a little bit about the book um, and also... What kind of inspired you or, or made you want to write a book? It's a great question, Andrew, because I've never really thought about ever writing a book. You know, I've, I'm a pretty private person. Marv will tell you, I'm not one of those that will be at the front voicing, uh, expressing my opinions about anything or, you know, too outlandish in terms of my character. I'm just pretty much standard, bog standard I join in when necessary. I step out again. I join us. So I, it's never really appealed to me to put my life out there for public consumption, shall we say, you know, warts and all. But then when I left Luton as a manager, I look back now and I, I think back, I had no real, I just kind of slid away in the darkness of the night. I had no real PR 
offense or defense. You know, I see now people come out and make a statement, you know, straight away. You know, this, that, and the other, whether it's right or wrong, the LMA make a statement and off you go. So your name's still out there. I didn't. I didn't have anyone who was going to fight my corner, irrespective of, you know, it was, it was a short period of time. And it was one of those things that happened. So I thought, and then social media come, comes along now. And I'm not a big on And I've got a friend in Florida. He says, yeah, you've got to get on Twitter. You've got to get on Facebook or Instagram. I said, no, nah, I don't want to do it. He said, no, do it. Get on Twitter. I'll man it for you. You don't have to do it, but I'm actually a great way to interact and get back. And no. And so he's, he's gone through. He says, there's these certain things that people have said about you. And he's looked up on the thing and he's got all warts and all. Great guy, legend, this, that. And then one came out. He says, absolute horrible manager. So I go, okay. So this is what was on the, on the, whichever Twitter thing it was. So, and I thought, hold on a minute. I don't know this person. He's behind his keyboard. He's, he's obviously got his own opinion, but it, in my estimation, it's the wrong opinion because as far as I'm concerned, if you're going to judge me on four months at loot and then you're as bad as your, your, I shouldn't even validate your opinion, your response with, with opinion. Right. So, but I thought, you know what, that hasn't been told. It is part of my journey, you know, from the mere fact of, I had 15 years as a player. I'd given, you know, a large part of my career as a player. And then to go back as a manager during times, which was difficult. Marv was there at the time, so he would know. Administration came from the club. New consortium coming in. It was turmoil going on at the club. And then to be judged on that and then not have any real support from outside when people have said, well, hold on a minute. You know, it's been there four months. What do you expect from four months, you know? And... You know, when, when I hear Arsene Wenger say about Glenn Hoddle when he got fired at Tottenham, you know, he had three and a half years. Arsene Wenger said he needed a little bit more time. You know, you got Frank Lampard now at Chelsea and he's had 18 months. He didn't have long enough. You know, Frank's had four times as much as, as I had. But I don't see anyone having that empathy of my journey. So I thought, you know what, I'm just going to put down the catalogue of what, what took place in that, within the book, so people can understand. And again... It's my truth and whether one people don't want to, to accept that truth, but it is my, and the fact that within the book, it also charts my coaching successes abroad. Everywhere I've been, I've managed to take that team that I've been with to the national final, whichever final that, is, you know, and normally in America, it's the playoffs and then finals, Marv, right? Yeah. Playoffs and finals. Yeah. So I've done that. I went to Trinidad. I took the team in Trinidad to the quarterfinals of the Champions League. In, in the CONCACAF region. First time and only time in it. I won four trophies out of the possible five in one year with the team. So people don't recognize or don't appreciate my body of work as a coach or what I've done because of the four months of Luton. So that was one of the reasons I wanted to just express people to know that it's there. Plus the background, my background. Not sorry, no. sorry to interrupt you there, Rick. Can I just jump in there? And I've, and I've yeah. mentioned it on the podcast and everyone who's listening, you, know, you can go back and listen to him. I as did say, I, I was the player back at the time. And then I didn't, I mean, again, I loved you as a player and I loved you yeah. as a man. So I wanted to, obviously you to succeed and it didn't help things. I had a lot of injuries and I had setbacks, but I did say at the time, and I have said now that you was ahead of your time. You had a, a fitness, you had Daley Thompson you brought in, in to help us. Yeah. He was talking about food and diet way, 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 way before anyone else was. So yeah. for me, I said, look, it, it, 
and we had young kids. There wasn't like there wasn't like there wasn't there was no senior pros. There was myself, and it was it's, and that's difficult to do that when you haven't got the resources which other people have got. And I've said that like everything that like, it was common difficult sense. for Ricky. Yes, it's common, it was, it's it, common sense, man. You know, yeah. and, and and particularly if you're gauging it on on a, on, a, on a short span, a time frame like that, it's it's ridiculous yeah. because nothing changes overnight. You know, football development. You know, talk about Klopp. And, and all those, it's three years or four years it took Klopp to win the Premier League. And that's with Liverpool, with outstanding players. Now. And as you say, not disrespectful to the players that were there, but they were young kids. There was, there was 15 out of 19 that had been had come up through the Luton ranks right. in the 19-man squad. When I, I was apprentice at Luton, there was 24 apprentices. There was 12 in each group. I'm the only one that played more than two games right, out of 24. But this is what we had at Luton at the time. So right. for me... That would have been appreciative if, you know, respectfully people took that and said, well, yeah, you're right. It wasn't the right, right place, wrong time. That's how I look at it. Right place, wrong time. But it hasn't deterred me. And post that, my body of work has suggested, you know, it has been that. Also in the book, which is going to be the first time that I've spoken about it, is my heritage. I'm Indian descent in terms of, you know, they talk about Asian footballers. So my dad's Indian. My great-grandfather was born in Lucknow in Uttar Pradesh, in India. He went to Jamaica to work an indentureship five-year program to work the land of a vinery for a JW Hill. Whilst he was at the land with his partner, my great-great-great-great-mother, my great-great-grandmother, they had their first child, which is my dad's dad, which is my grandfather. His name's Gucharan. But they registered him in the land that they were working on, J.W. Hill. So his name is John Hill, but really the family name is Suki. So I'm a descendant of the Hill lineage that was given just from the register. My dad then, my great, my great, my granddad then had four more great-grandfather, five more, six more children, and they were all named Suki. They're surnamed. So only the first one was named Hill. The next five were named Suki. So then the Hill descendants lineage went down here. My grandfather had 11. And out of those 11 children, all in Jamaica, at the, end, at the end of the time in Jamaica, five years, they decided they could either go back to India or they could make a life in, in Jamaica. They had two children at that time. They said, we'd have a better prospect in Jamaica. They then had 11. Every one of the 11 married someone from an in, Indian ancestry, apart from my dad. So I'm kind of half Indian. And, I, and all that's in the book and, you know, pictures of my dad, which no one ever seen. And it's another little journey. And lastly, I'd like to thank you, Marvellous, and you, Andrew, for hosting this event tonight for me. And also in regards to my book, Pitch Publishing, which is Jane and Paul Camlin. Also, thank Ian Wright for doing the foreword for the book. Jamie Redknapp for allowing me to use certain extracts from his book and put into mine. And also Adrian Durham, for being with me on this journey um, over the last couple of years, for eking out all the information that was long buried in my mind um, and for his expertise throughout this whole process. And lastly, for Laura Wolf, who's our PR guru, for all the amazing work she's done thus far. I thank them all. Abs- sounds absolutely... Oh, it's, I'm looking forward to reading it. Um, I'm going to jump on and try and see if I get it in Australia. So that's um, Love of the Game which is out on the 15th of March. And as um, 
Ricky's mentioned to us that he's more than happy to um, do some personalized things and stuff like that. So just get DM him on Twitter um, or send him across an email to provide his email address. So Ricky A. Hill um, at hotmail.com. Yes, Ricky. Sorry. In, in, <laughs> initially, it's those who haven't yet purchased the books and want yes. to purchase the book, they can DM, DM me, uh, message me, sorry, at, at my hotmail, and then I can sort out the personal message. Those who have already purchased the book already, you know, unfortunately, have to wait until I do the book signings and looting or, or after the book's just been released. Fantastic. Yeah. And they'll be able to find out all that type of stuff on um, right. on your uh, Twitter page and Twitter I'm sure on, on a number of other places as well. There'll be billboards up once, once the lockdown gets lifted in um, the UK. Um, we have a few questions for you, Ricky, if you don't mind. Yes. Um, we've Is got right? a few we questions from our questions. fans. Yeah, of course. Yeah, oh, yeah. Over to you, Marv. I mean... We can both ask them. I mean, I think you um, you mentioned it earlier on about Leeds. One, um, where is that um, guy? What's his name? I want to read his name out because I want some <laughs> love. Let's see the Leeds question. Philip Rayner. Philip Rayner. That's it. Philip Rayner. What he says? Why is Leeds United still the first team above the mighty Hatters? And the res- result you look for, Ricky? Because it was the first team that helped me fall in love with the game. It had someone that looked like me in their kit. And as a young child, it's that vision that ignites the flame. And if without that vision, I would have possibly felt that I would never become a footballer. I was six years old. But because of that vision, I saw someone, I thought, this is possible. It's achievable. My dream begun. And thankfully for me, during that era when I, era when I was growing up, Leeds were the team. Not only was the kit spectacular, the football was spectacular, the style was spectacular. We were innovative. We were in European Cup finals. We were in first cup finals. We were competing for the league all the time. We had the type of players that any team at that era would want from Leeds United. So it kind of was something that the foundation was there. It was built on. It's hard to break. Um, I could never see myself supporting another team the way that I for Leeds. That's why I feel. So you're happy right now then? I'm happy right now. Yeah. I mean, back where they, back where they belong, according to a lot of Leeds fans. Good, good or bad times, Andrew. I still look out for them and, and support them. I think they're a wonderful club. True fan. A true fan. Um, we've got a question here from Nick Pierce, um, who actually would like, if it's okay for you to give a, just a shout out or a hello to um, his uncle, Philip Goodman, who's um, currently um, struggling with uh, muscular uh, dystrophy. Um, and he actually named his first child after you, Ricky. Yeah. Oh, wow. So he named his first child after you. So if you could just Very say a quick nice. hello to Philip Goodman, that'd be fantastic. Absolutely. Philip, hi, mate. Thank you for all the many years of support. Really appreciate it. Thank you for giving me the honour of naming your son after me. Really, really humbling. I hope you can get better quickly. I hope you're still keeping your spirits up and look forward to hopefully when this um, lockdown elapses, we can maybe arrange for, to get together. But good luck for the future. Brilliant. Fantastic. We've Fantastic. got another one here um, from Stephen Betts. I don't want you answering this one if it's um, in the yeah. book, the answer's in the book, mind you. So Stephen Betts is asking, what was the main lesson you learned when you managed the club? And would you consider working for the club again in some capacity? Um, the main lesson, I don't know if it's an individual lesson that I've learned in terms of what I would do differently. 
I don't think I would have done anything differently to what I'd done whilst I'd gone there with, with the tools that were at my disposal. I would possibly, one thing I would have done is signed the contract because Stephen, unbeknown to many people, in the four months that I was there, I, I never signed a contract. I never saw a contract. So that was kind of an unscrupulous way to do business. You know, I went there in good faith, expecting to see a contract. And the people that were running the club, you know, they were always had an excuse as to why the contract never materialized. Um, so that naivety, because of the love I had for the club and the, the, the desire to go back and help assist the club get back onto to past glories, kind of clouded my better judgment, shall I say, for not going with a, an agent who would take care of that thing and I would not step foot in the club without having a contract signed, sealed and delivered. But from, from a, a technical standpoint, again, I have never been one who has really been so totally uh, adverse to working with staff that have been previously there. Um, uh, it's never really bothered me before. I've always given people an opportunity to to earn a living because they want, I, I, I hate to disrupt anyone's livelihood, but by only bringing one person with me, I felt it took a lot of time for people to really grasp what they should have been doing in respects to, you know, just respectfully, Lenny, it's gone. Even though you have sympathy for someone that you've worked with, you know, there is a new sheriff in town and we all have got to try to work together to, to uplift the club. And I didn't think that everyone was pulling off the same page at that time so I've never been one that has said well a new manager comes in and brings his sixth staff with with him I've never really agreed to that but now in hindsight perhaps I would have asked to bring more than one person with me at, at that stage and whether it would have made a difference or not it remains to be seen but again that's just something you learn you live in the yeah. And there you go. I'm, I, 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 I was a player at the club at the time. I didn't know until just you've just said now that you didn't have a contract. See, that in itself is, I didn't know that you didn't have a contract. Yeah. I just know that. It, it was agreed. Everything's, I had a letter of intent, but they never, it never materialized. It was never, I never saw it. Wow. Wow. Um, one final question. Um, from uh, we've got time for all the questions. We've got thank you to all the people who've sent them in. Uh, this is from James Bacon, um, and he asked, "Man for man, um, was the in terms of ability wise, was the seventy nine eighty three squad, or the kind of a Littlewoods Cup eighty seven eighty eight squad? Which one do you think was better ability wise as a squad? So you have to pick names, but ability wise. That's that's an unfair question. <laughs> who, who, who asked that question? James Bacon. So James Bacon. So feel free to James. James, out of order. That's, uh, that's, that's a terrible <laughs> question. I think stylistically, the seventy-nine to eighty-three was the aesthetically more beautiful team to play in. Even though the other era, eighty-three to eighty-seven, also was great, and we played some wonderful football. But I just felt that second division period where, you know, we went in every time to, to, to go and, and win and no matter where it was and score and go gung-ho. And we came so close on two, two occasions, right, right to the wire and then fought, fell away or someone picked us to it. And then to get there and that last third period where I don't think if we didn't manage it at that era where we blew when Nobby came and we won the league by X amount, record points and, record goals and whatever else. If we hadn't have done it then, I'm not sure a number of us would have left Luton a lot quicker. 
I don't think the club would have been able to hold on to us at that stage. So I think from that perspective alone, even though we were successful in the Littlewoods Cup and we went back to another final and we got to the semi-finals, we got to the quarterfinals with the other team, I just think because of the struggle and because of the, the, the evolution of the club at that time with David Pleat, I'd have to edge the first era as the one that, for me, is better for me personally. Fantastic. Great question. Great question. Yep. Even though it's difficult, great question. Thank you very much. And thank you to all of our fans for all of those. Um, great to hear from you. So um, I just want to say thank you on behalf of myself and Marv to Ricky for taking part in this podcast. And that was um, Ricky Hill's My Best 11. Thank you.